Greetings, everyone, and welcome to WriteBrain, a podcast about writing and crowdfunded publishing. Hello, and welcome to the first InkShares Review-A-Ton live broadcast podcast, something, something. I'm J.F. Dubot, and with me is my friend Paul Inman. We're the two nerds who do the WriteBrain podcast, and we've been roped into doing this live broadcast for InkShare. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, J.F.? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm a bit overwhelmed. This is this is a, a grandiose operation that Kara Watson put together, and there's a lot to do in the next two hours. A lot of people to Absolutely. talk to. Absolutely is. Um, you know, just to give it to give you a little background on JF. JF, you are the author of several books, some of which we can talk about live, right? Correct. Uh, we we can we can, but we won't we won't immediately because we're on the schedule because we we have someone ah, yes we have we someone have special to talk to, but he's. So awesome and so much better than us that he's got other things to do tonight, and we don't have him for very long. And but we need to interview him ASAP. And so we're we're doing this unorthodox thing. We're we're starting this uh, this show. We're uh, we're not introducing what we're doing. We're not talking about schedule. We're jumping right into an interview because uh, we have to because scheduling because life happens and it's the holidays. That's right. When it's live, you know, you've got to go, go, go. Exactly. So who we're, do we have? Who do we have? Uh, we have Richard Hines, which is the uh, author of Seventh Age Dawn. It's a, uh, if I remember clearly, it's a, the winner of the uh, Nerdist podcast contest. That's correct. And we we have we have him for a few minutes to ask a few questions. Richard, are you online with us? Can you talk? I am good to go. How's awesome. it going, everybody? Doing good well. To see you. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on. No, oh, no problem. Uh, I. Uh, my obligations tonight include family festivities and then trying to escape to roll some dice at the end of that. So, uh, ever Can the I consummate come? gamer. Uh, of, co- of course, you know, uh, anybody at 10 o'clock at night wants to uh, play some tabletop, uh, I can hook everybody up. So, awesome. where, are you, where are you coming um, from right now? Uh, like, I'm in Chicago. Location? Chicago, okay, that's cool. Chicago's a cool place. My wife and I visited there this past summer. It was really neat. So uh, tell us a little bit. Give us maybe a little quick synopsis of um, The Seventh Age Dawn. The Seventh Age Dawn is uh, an urban fantasy tale that prefaces and sort of uh, enjoys demons, street tacos, humor, and what happens when a group of militant magic users try to end the world by bringing magic full force into the world rather than most urban fantasies which like to have the magic fight to remain hidden. So I kind of want to impact everybody's daily lives through uh, a veil of uh, sarcasm and irony as the characters they travel with watch the world crumble around them. Uh, And it sets up uh, the Seventh Age book is its own complete tale, and it has other books that follow down that line that eventually end up in the world that I've created over the past decade. So Dawn is like uh, the beginning of a series or a prequel, or how would you describe yes. it? I would describe it as the beginning of a series, but at the same time is its own complete novel that tells its own tale. Um, and then each book I have planned is its own tale within the universe. Sounds good. So how, how much of a Seventh Age did you have ready when you joined the, the Nerdist Contest? By the time the Nerdist contest had come around, I had already written it four times, uh, and I'd, I'd written it, beta read it, rewritten it, beta read it again, went out and got a developmental editing done, and the Nerdist contest rolled around right 
when I was in the middle of developmental editing. So I was really far along in the, the process when uh, everything kind of blew up and then everything got put on halt and we all scrambled like mad to try to uh, do what we could in the contest. Speaking of which, do you want to tell us a bit what your impressions of doing a contest was? Because I, I find that talking to different people that have been through the different contests all have some of the same experiences, but some slightly different. So I love uh, uh, competition sort of drives a lot of people, uh, or some people. I really liked the idea of this sort of, you have 90 days, run as fast as you possibly can. Uh, I mean, it, sure, it was stressful, but every moment it was stressful for a positive aspect. I'm going out there and talking to complete strangers, saying, "Hey, I wrote a book. I did something positive. You know, are you interested in this type of genre? Do you like, uh, you know, urban fantasy? Do you like fantasy?" Uh, and sometimes I would even get people that were into sci-fi or other fiction, and I would send them other people's ways. Um, but the idea of the the sort of the contest really boots you into gear as fast as possible. Um, I wish that a little bit more of it had been done on uh, like actual excerpts and sort of uh, the actual story of people rather than the, you know, hey, let's all rush out as much as possible. But... I enjoy it for what it is. Uh, crowdsourcing is crowdsourcing. It's about how you can get out there in front of a large group of people, um, and hopefully, you know, they like what you have. That's awesome. Let me ask you um, one more question. This, that particular contest was uh, the second contest for Ink Shares, and uh, JF, as well as, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of other of us were really like. Um, community driven for the second contest because the first contest seemed like it was really like everybody against each other. Did you uh, did you pick up on some of that? Uh, being someone who came from the outside of that environment, did you pick uh, up on hands that? down, absolutely. Uh, everybody hits a wall at some point, and the only way to kind of get past that wall, and also because I'm not a professional writer, I'm not anybody famous. John Robin had reached out to me, uh, and I met many other writers like Zach or Andy, uh, you know, Joe, who's in the current contest, you yourself, Paul. Um, yeah. You know, we, we had met early on. Um, the author community uh, that InkShares had started building is hands down one of the best resources I've ever encountered because now I'm beta reading uh, people's books, uh, I'm seeing how other people write, I'm learning tricks, and I'm becoming a better writer myself by virtue of being a part of the community. Um, so being in isolation is, I don't really consider that an option. I mean, I'm social to begin with, and I couldn't see it how you guys did it in the first contest where everybody was alone. Um, I absolutely had a lot of friends uh, that both that I made in the contest and, you know, now after I've even uh, come to know other people. Um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, the first contest was really tough. So, you know, I'm glad that... Uh... Um, we could help facilitate that and 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 have some make some new friends and you know like JF said a couple times before JF what was that exactly it was something like uh, we're all we're all in this together it's yes, kind of like, and, it's been my saying for the past say two years when dealing with online creativity like was it did another saying is the, the rising tide lifts all boats and that's that's why I like about like the the two most recent contests and like 
Richard really jumped into that. And that, that was really cool. It was. Very cool. So uh, we're we're getting a bit low on time, but I want I want Richard to be able to plug his book and uh, where to pre-order it. I don't know how far uh, you are in the production schedule, but well, I have my first kickoff meeting in January. But uh, if you like urban fantasy and you enjoy demons, street tacos, humor, and apocalypse scenarios with heavy amounts of conspiracy, where villains that you like and heroes that you could actually dislike. Um, and a world of moral grays where everybody's got something to stand on. Uh, if you like this, check out The Seventh Age Dawn. Uh, it is probably up your alley. I spent a lot of time in Chicago learning the hidden underbellies, and so you will find a new layer of the city that actually exists right beneath our uh, feet. That sounds cool. Urban um, fantasy is it. super down my, uh, my alley. Cool. Yeah, so, um, thanks, a, uh, thanks a lot for coming on, and, uh, you know, good luck. Check out the book, everybody. It's, um, it's really good. In fact, I'm uh, I, um, not sure if I actually did a review on it, but I definitely read it, um, what you have posted up there, and I, I like it a lot. So You did do my audio recording for the I, first chapter. I did. I did do your audio recording. I was trying not to plug that. I always say that a lot, I feel like. So. No, you should plug it, because you did audio recordings for a lot of, uh, of Inkshare's authors during that contest, and I know, first of all, we're all grateful, but they're all really good too. Hey, so. thanks. Thanks a lot. And thanks again for coming on. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me so much. Yep, have a great night. You too. Alright, JF. Um, who who do we have coming up next, JF? Next we have Jaina Gray. So just before we, we have Jaina on, I just want to like outline what we're doing here. We're going to have a sure. bunch of interviews. We're going to have a reading of a, of a script from one of the books that's currently funding on Inkshares. Uh, amongst the authors we have, we have Jaina Grace, who is, uh, who's successfully funded The Battle for Oz, which I'm currently reading and really enjoying. We uh, have Gary Witta later on, who is the author of Abomination, which is a book I thoroughly enjoyed. We have Jeremy Thomas. Oh, no, it's Jeremy Cancel. We have someone from, from uh, Inkshare. Adam. Adam. Adam is going to be answering a couple of questions about the company. And I'm not going to name everyone because I want to get to Jaina's interview ASAP, but we have other people that are super important to the community coming up next. So let's jump right into the interview with, uh, with Jaina. Jaina, you're, uh, you're, you're on with us? Yep, I am. Yes, welcome. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> It's good to see you. Finally put a face um, with your name. I've been looking at um, your book, The Battle for Oz, uh, well since I, I first joined Inkshares. I mean, it was already in production, and uh, it really caught my attention because actually when you first came on, you had a, uh, a different cover that then ended up being your final cover, which they were both really awesome. So, um, Oh, welcome. yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, the cover was different because I had initial plans for the book, but then I found out about Inkshares, so I switched it up and... Um, I was open to a new cover when they offered. So you already work in, in the literature industry, right? You already do some work for, say, Disney and Mattel, you, your profile says? Um, I work in a licensee publishing company. So we deal with Disney and Mattel and Hasbro. We buy over properties and then we write new content and publish it in this country itself. So yeah, I do work with them as a licensee license relationship. So uh, how, how does it feel to do writing for your day job and still keep it as a hobby? Because I work in design and illustration and marketing and I find that sometimes it's kind of hard to have your job be your hobby, be your job, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it is 
it it is quite hard to separate both of them, but I feel like my job does help with my writing as well. Not necessarily in a good way because I've been told the battle for odds, um, the writing style is a bit simple, and I realize that it's because I write simple stories for kids in in my day job. So to separate them or to enjoy my day job and my night job, uh, sometimes the lines just get blurred in the process. Yeah. Um, I find that happens to to me too. Like my job has nothing to do with writing, but you know I take my life experience and I end up putting it into my writing, and and I feel like that it just um, it, it helps me enrich what I'm trying to do. I, I have one quick question for you. Where are you um, connecting in from tonight? Uh, I'm from Malaysia. It's 7:14 a.m. right now. This morning, oh, wow. then I should say for you. Yeah. That's that's Thanks awesome. Thanks for joining us. And I kind of like want to do that with everybody because it's so this is such a unique community with um, you know, authors from around the world and not just around like the you know the United States or you know around the block. So, uh, thank you for joining us. I know it's early for you. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm happy to be here. So. So um, right now you're funding a second book in the uh, and, and it's it's kind of part of the same series that was what you did with Bal for Oz, correct? It's not necessarily the same the, the part of the same series, but along the same genre. So the Battle for Oz is a spin-off, and this is a retelling. Similar concept, but different, I would say. Yeah. That's. Kind of cool. I'm. I'm. I. I know. I'm enjoying uh, Battle for Oz, so I'm looking forward. And I, I. I've read a bit, and I've. I read. Actually, I wrote a review for your. Uh, for your second book is the uh, the Slave Prince, I believe. Yeah. I I, start, I I wrote a review for it, and I started reading some of the uh, the sample material that you have for it. And it looks very interesting. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I saw that review. Um, thank you for reviewing that. Uh, yeah, it is different. I mean. In terms of the sleepings and the battle force, the concept and the premise and all that is different. But and so is the crowdfunding process. I think between the two books, the battle force has a different mechanics and the sleepings has a different mechanics. Mm -hmm. So even though they're in the same genre, in the whole setup in getting the book done, the whole setup in getting the book written and published, eventually it will be all be completely different from each other. Um, so when you first funded um, the battle for Oz. Uh, InkShares was a little bit of a different type of uh, company than I guess, correct? Is that right? Yeah, it was more of a fundraising, not really pre-ordering kind of layout. So at the time when I was crowdfunding the Battle for Us, I had to raise $7,700. So it was more of getting people to give the money instead of buying the book. So yeah, it was really different back then. And, and like uh, Rick said, there wasn't this author community in the early stages, so it was more of everyone for themselves, you know. Um, we had to reach out to family and friends, you exhaust your personal networks to get the book funded. Uh, yeah, so it's really different then and now, but I'm glad that things have picked up now. We have a community and everybody's supporting each other, so that's great. Um, that's awesome. Can you t give us maybe like a quick synopsis of this, The Slave Prince, um, just for the people who have not looked into it yet? Um, this something the short and sweet, you know, something that just kind of sums it up. I know that's really tough. I didn't prepare anything. That's um, okay. Uh, the Slave Prince is a retelling uh -huh. of, well, I don't want to say what, 
but it's a retelling of a story, quite an iconic story, uh, about a prince, a teenage prince, who finds out that he's not a prince, but uh, a slave. And so he, he returns to his kingdom in hopes to free his people. Yeah. I think that sort of gives off what the story is a bit about, but it's completely different from the original. Okay. Uh, thanks. That's that's amazing. Um, is there uh, where can you where can people go to pre-order if they'd like to pre-order a copy um, of the Slave Prince or even purchase a copy of the Battle for Oz? Uh, they can go to Inkshares. I mean, just look me up or search the Battle for Oz or go to the Swan and Laser Collection Contest. I'm number ten. That's well, awesome, and we can for now, yeah. Dead air. Anyways, uh, well, I uh, we're live. We're live, ladies and gentlemen. I I know. <laughs> sorry, we're not professionals. Uh, yeah. I I know you're really down on the. You you mentioned a couple of times that you uh, you 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 were told that your style was simplistic. I personally find that that's kind of part of the charm of and how it works well with the kind of book that the Battle of Frost is. That it's it's very um, so you don't linger on certain descriptions and it fits with the the atmosphere and the theme of the book. I'm kind of hoping and ex wondering if that's going to sort of translate for uh, for slave print. So I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to reading more as you have more samples available. Yeah, um, for the slave prince, I tried to up the game a little bit because people were saying, oh, it's too simple, and majority of the readers that actually really like the book are actually children. So I wanted to hit a higher audience for the Slave Prince. So I'm trying to up it up a little, but it will still keep the whole simplicity, get the action moving kind of writing. So I'm just going to ask you one last question before we have to move on. So far, are you finding that your second campaign is more difficult? And if so, why? Or is it easier? And if so, again, why? Because I'm, uh, I'm curious about how people with a second campaign going on uh, are, are working that in. Uh, it's actually difficult because the first time around, I think all of us do the almost same thing. We are reaching out to our personal contacts. So having a second project means I cannot go back to the same people again. Uh, I don't want to go back to the same people again. I don't want them to feel obligated to support me. So this time around, it's more on basing my reach to the interest community. Uh, to my readers, which of course is definitely more difficult. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if I'm doing it correctly. I don't know if it will succeed, but ugh, we'll see. Well, I know we wish you luck. I'm, I'm, I want to see that second book get published. Thanks. Yes, me too, and thank you for being here, and uh, sorry to have to get you up so early. No problem. I mean, there's always a first for everything, right? <laughs> right. Still feels cruel. Yeah, it does. <laughs> check out the battle. Check out the battle uh, for Oz and the Slave Prince, um, and support our authors here. So JF, uh, next up, I think we are actually going to read a, um, some reviews because today is the big reviewathon, the first annual reviewathon. Right. That's something we should probably take a second to sort of describe. So absolutely. What, what happened is that Kara Weston, one of the uh, authors from Inkshare, she's publishing a book called She is the End, which looks very promising. We, we reviewed it uh, on, on the Right Brain Prod podcast. She put together this really intense day to encourage writers to... Uh, well, writers and readers from the Inkshares community to put up reviews on various author websites and, and pages 
for books that are funding. And a lot of people don't realize how important reviews are for authors, and which is why I think this this event is actually a very good way of sort of bringing to the forefront the idea of reviewing both each other's books and sort of getting other readers and people from outside our writer community to review the books that are that are currently funding. Um, I totally agree, and. Uh... I mean, I think this whole thing has been awesome. I've been uh, tweeting all day about the reviews that I've been doing and just following along and what's, on what's, Twitter. What's the, what's the hashtag for people that are putting up reviews and that want to see the reviews that have been put up? Um, the hashtag is hashtag InkSharesReviews. So, awesome. I mean, pretty, pretty simple to remember, InkSharesReviews. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So, reading. I, yeah, I think I'm yeah. going to start. I'm going to start with one. Yes, you will, because yes. I'm not ready. <laughs> yes, I am ready. That's... Good for us live, ladies and gentlemen, live. Okay, so <laughs> uh, Amanda, I'm gonna mess up your name, and you know I was told that this is one of the best parts of our podcast when we ruin everybody's name, but I'm sorry, I really am. Amanda Ornek, Ornek, I think. So um, the the book in question is Deus Hex Machina. So um, I'm gonna just uh, scroll down here. Um, if you're online right now and you're watching live, you can go to Ink Shares and you can check out the page. But about halfway down is where you'll see uh, a section called What the Critics Are Saying. And I am going to read a review by Mr. Thomas Arnold. Um, the review says, An intriguing look into a new cyberpunk world. I've always been intrigued by the genre, but this book does something which I have rarely seen among other cyberpunk tales by looking at an evolution of religion with the techno-electric church of technology. Techno-centric, I read that all wrong, church of technology. This combined with the riveting narrative style, well-written characters, and an opening which quickly hooks me into the plot, leaves me wanting to read more. I can't really wait to get to know these characters' world and hopefully get an even deeper look into the church. So um, just to, uh, real quick, I'll... Um, Try to read the little blurb here at the top just to give you a little bit more background information. It says, a devote, <clears throat> a devote hacker collaborates with a streetwise gang leader to investigate magic in dystopic Orange County. So, Some would say dystopic Orange County is kind of uh, redundant, but I've never <laughs> been there, so I can't judge. But Possibly. I, I honestly have no idea what Orange County is like. So I'm I'm actually the uh, I'm going to read my review. Uh, oh well, not no, my review, but a review of a book called The Animal and Man, which is currently first on the leaderboards for the Sword and Laser contest. By the way, for those who who don't know, there's currently another Inkshares contest going on. So yeah. if you haven't checked out the books that are currently competing, there's as always some really good ones. And Animal and Man is is currently top of the leaderboard, and I think it's well deserved. It looks like a really cool book. I'm just gonna read this, this small synopsis first, and then I'll read the review because as I was listening to Paul, I realized that's probably a more coherent way of doing it. You're right, and I am I, I am so bad. Live, live, we're stuff. just improv. Live. This is this is live. improv. So and you know what? Uh, well, uh, just real quick. I'm sorry. Let me interrupt you. Um, the funny thing is, is, like we have so much on our schedule here. It's like we jumped right into it, boom, and we're ready to go. And then every every second that goes by, we're like, oh yeah, maybe we should explain this. So if we do that a lot, you know, just bear with us live, okay? So Jeff, sorry about that. <laughs> Absolutely. So the animal and man, an artifact of immense power, puts Maxan in the middle of a secret war between mighty guilds. 
to overcome the resourceful and sinister masters who would use him, use everyone as puppets, he must decide which nature defines him, animal or man. And I'm going to read the review from uh, Jameson Stone, which is the author of Rune of the Apprentice and is just an, an awesome guy and an awesome marketing machine. He's, uh, he was, he's managed to fund his book, Rune of the Apprentice, from, uh, I, I guess I could call it the ashes of the Nerdist Contest. And right. his, his book, his entire process is really inspiring. So what he says about uh, the animal and man Said to be inspired by Plato's allegory of the cave, the animal and man and its unique world of Herbridia, sorry, I'm terrible with names, seems like, a, like a, not only a great read, but more importantly, a potent and poignant commentary on the human condition. I am very eager to read the full book and see what exciting and elucidating adventures Asfani, uh, Asfahani has in store for us. Additionally, I very much would like to play a companion RPG set in Herbridia, too. So, high praise. Like, when you want to actually not just read the book, but sort of create your own stories as a character by playing the RPG, uh, it, it's well-deserved. And, and uh, Joseph, Joseph Asfahani, who is the writer for The Animal Man, is, is doing very well and getting very good reviews, and it seems well-deserved. It's, uh, it's one of those books that I have not pre-ordered. Oh, my what the hell am I doing? <laughs> so, uh, you know, speaking of um, the Sword and Laser Contest, we actually have coming up next um, a an old friend from the first Sword and Laser Contest. Jim, how you doing, buddy? Hi, everybody. Hopefully, can can we hear me? I have a really bad microphone. We, um, we can hear you. We can hear you clearly. You just sound like you're calling in from your car, which is fine. It gives it an old radio feel to it. That's right. That's right. That's appropriate. Hey, Jim, before we start, how, how does it feel to, uh, to see a picture of the spine of your book uh, tweeted out by SF Signal? Feels good. Uh, right? Yeah, that, that's good. I, I will say I liked the uh, Tom Merritt unboxing the books. That, that felt real good. Mm, well, yeah, that's true. I watched that. That was Not, really no, we're nice. Just bragging. That was, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome, Jim. Um, you know, for everybody listening at home, Jim wrote a book once upon a time, and it's called "An Unattractive Vampire." So, uh, you know, and you recently, just recently, got um, added into the uh, Sword and Laser collection on Inkshares. I, I know that. Uh, Along with JF and uh, a couple of others of us, we were "quote unquote" winners of the contest. But they picked a couple of books for the actual collection, which was uh, "The Life Engineered" by JF and um, uh, "Asteroid Made of Dragon" by thank you, sorry. Eric Adams. Yeah, I blanked out there for a second. But um, you recently got uh, added into that collection as well. So, how does that make you feel? Tell us what how, how you feel about that. Oh, I I was ecstatic about that. I. Yeah, was was very excited. Uh, I couldn't really show it because when I was told that they were maybe going to have it, uh, I was at work. And then when I found out that I was chosen, uh, I was at school. So, but I'm very excited. And and how did, how did that process happen? Did you just spontaneously decide? Because I, I, I remember hearing Veronica Belmont from Sword and Laser saying that she was kind of excited about the concept of your book, but is it something that they went back and forth with you, or did you just like decide one day, we, we should add him, his book, his just, it's our thing? 
Uh, no. As f- as far as I know, uh, it was just spontaneous. Like it was in one day that I found out that, that is, everything was happening. That is super cool. So how how has the production side of getting your book ready been for you? Has it how how's it how's it been? There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> live. Remember live. <laughs> live. It's it's been good. Um, it's been stressful. For some reason, the deadlines always seem to coincide with a test or a major paper that I have for grad school. So I end up having to like pull all-nighters to get uh, copy edits and development edits done, as well as study for tests on nominative absolutes. That's Yeah, I'm, I've had a... Slightly different experience where every time I say, "Well, I'm done with this," then I would get a new email from the production team, and with more work. So, um, not I, a bad thing necessarily. No, no, I, I I love the work. I was surprised to actually enjoy the editing process, which I was originally afraid of. Did uh, did you find that the the editing process for Attractive Vampire? You know what? I'm gonna put a break on that. Actually. Talk to us about the book, because we like we're talking about it because we already know about it, and we had noticed synopsis, we've read the samples, so of course we're familiar with it. But maybe there's some people that aren't. So tell us about an unattractive vampire. Uh, an unattractive vampire is the story of Yorick Bile, a thousand-year-old vampire who basically is unburied after 300 years. Uh, to find that no one believes he is a vampire because he's not sexy. And hilarity and murder ensues. Those two go hand in hand sometimes, right? I guess, right? <laughs> so it's, I think so. So you, would, you, you, would you describe it as kind of like a fantasy horror humor kind of book? Uh, yeah. It's, I, I think the, the general genre it would fall into into is categorized as contemporary fantasy because it's not quite urban fantasy, but it's set in modern day. So we're we're getting so picky about subgenres, aren't we? I've, yeah. I've noticed that in the uh, generally in literature, we can't just say sci-fi. It has to be like a subcategory of a subcategory. Um, oh. JF, you were asking a question about the uh, the production. So I don't remember exactly where you're going. Right. So I was I was asking a question about the production. Basically, one of the things that's that's always very interesting to me is talking to other authors that have crowdfunding like this. How do how much, if any, did your book change going through the the, the developmental edits and the the production um, part of creating the book? I mean, I don't know if this was your first book getting edited or not, so I don't know if this is something you're familiar, comfortable with, or if this is your first experience, but I'm just curious if the book itself uh, went through any changes. No, I, this, this is my first, I guess, uh, professionally edited uh, book, so, um, like, I was, the, the one that went into the sword and laser contest was six or draft six or seven or eight, something like that. Um, but like during development edits, enti- uh, basically I had to write at least three to six new chapters, chapters that had been deleted, uh, came back. 
uh, to change subplots, characters changed. It was pr- pretty pretty tough, but also also fun at the same time. Especially adding the new chapters, just because I always find that uh, coming up, or, original writing is far more fun for me than uh, re- revision. I, I totally, I totally can, um, I totally can understand what you're saying there. I had a lot of stuff with uh, the book that I'm doing, Ageless, that I had to go back and I had to kind of rework, you know, so I totally understand what you mean. It was a lot of fun reworking it, but it is also, revisions are tough because, you know, you really think that, oh, I'm being creative, I'm going to make things up, and you go back and get a revise, and that's kind of like grinding, you know, you're just doing it, getting it done, getting it done, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, suck it up, Paul. Yes, I know, I'm sorry. So uh, before, before we let you go, Jim, can you, do you, you want to tell us where we can find your book or f- if, I mean, obviously it's going to be on InkShare, but if there's any other contact points that you want people to, to find you at, like on Twitter or whatever? Or, yeah, website or... Uh, I, I'm working on a website. It will exist. I'm currently fiddling with uh, Squarespace to get that done. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jim McDaniel. Um, you can. I have an author page on Facebook. That's also just my name. Uh, and you can buy the book on Inkshares. You can also buy pre-order it at on like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I've gone to those places and been like, "Hey, there's my book! Yay! I'm excited." That is an odd feeling. It is a weird feeling. I, I, I totally. Especially agree. when you're, especially when you're in a Barnes and Noble looking at your book on the Barnes and Noble website. That that's fun. You that's what that. I should do. I should just go to the uh, the local bookstores and go to their computers and just put up my book on the search. <laughs> and um, your book, as well as JF's book and my book, will be one of the ones given away tonight. So, oh, I think that's, that's pretty happening? exciting. Yeah, that's happening. There are prizes. <laughs> All At right. That's what I've been told. So. <laughs> So uh, thank, thanks for coming on, Jim. Uh, very very cool, and I can't wait to actually read your book. Yeah. Thank you guys well. Thank you. Thank you for putting up with this uh, old 10-year-old microphone I have. No, that's okay. Just, you know. That's fine. It's worth it. So hey, next, thanks, buddy. Next up, we uh, we're 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 having someone from InkShares. It was supposed to be uh, Jeremy Thomas, but Jeremy had other obligations, so he hooked us up with what he describes as a much better option. Someone who will be better equipped to actually answer questions coherently. I, I've talked to Jeremy, and yeah, probably. So, <laughs> so with us we have Adam. I'm I'm sorry, Adam. I don't I don't remember what your family name is. Yeah, uh, my my last name is Donnellan. Donnellan? Uh, Donnellan Geo. Donnellan. Sorry, sorry. Um, and and what's your role at Inkshares? Uh, I am presently co-founder. Let's see. I was the third co-founder. Jeremy was four. Uh, and I'm our general counsel, and I run BD. So, uh, like, mostly what I'm responsible for is uh, this is this is of course the Inkshare's dog here, Theodore. Oh, there we go. That hey, was actually I was my, gonna first ask, yeah. my yeah. first question was going to be, tell us about the the, the dog. Theodore is uh, at the Inkshare's office almost every single day. He usually sleeps on a sofa. Um, I hear that. I hear that he gets into a little trouble around the office. Is that true? He does get in. Well, we both do. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I met. Okay, so in terms of what I do, I run BD. Um, so like I talked uh, Veronica and Tom. Just to be clear, BD that's business development, correct? Yeah, BD is business development. So uh, let's see. Originally, kind of like I went out, I hung out with Gary. Said to Gary, you know, you really don't do this book on Amazon. Don't do it with a traditional publisher. Do us. 
Um, you know, made Veronica get lunch with me, talked her into having her presence on Inkshares, and then the same thing with the guys and gals at Legendary Entertainment, who I uh, can tell you as of yesterday will be on the platform uh, constantly all of next year. So we just signed a uh, partnership with them that will go through all of 2016. So Fantastic. Very cool. So um, you, you more or less, I'm sorry, go ahead. Theodore is still a puppy, so we're working on it. <laughs> so, so far, so more, good. more or less, your job is to go hang out with the people and tell them, "Hey, you need to come over here. We need to work together, and uh, you know, we need to make uh, some kind of partnership to make Inkshares um, even cooler than it already is." Yeah, the way I look at it is, um, Inkshares is a kind of like a, a collider, and there's just the dog loves to be on camera. There was no way that he was going to not come for this. Um, but yeah, Inkshares I think of as a collider. Like we get these awesome brands with relevant audiences like Sword and Laser or Nerdist on the platform, and we have an opportunity to get great authors on the platform. And as each of those brands brings in their legitimacy and brings in their um, kind of fan base, we have an opportunity to grow the fan bases of uh, emerging authors like each of yourselves. Um, so that's kind of like my job and my goal is to get these brands on the platform so that we can all mutually benefit from them. Um, it feels like yesterday that I just read Unattractive Vampire for the first time and called Jim and said, hey, man, this is a really, really, really good book. That's great. I can't wait to, I can't wait to read my copy, actually. So It's, it's pretty great. Um, but, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of that next year, a lot more influencers. Um, we're going to be using the syndicates function in some cool ways. And uh, we're all super excited, including, of course, Theodore here. Clearly. <laughs> so, oh, I'm curious what that dinging is. Uh, I think that might be uh, my phone on the table. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was wondering if it was on my side. So, how how did Inkshares come about? How what what was the? Because I know it went through a lot of changes through the last. Two years or so, but I'm I'm curious about the, uh, the 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 genesis of the company. How how did you guys get together and figure out what you wanted to do? Yeah, uh, I met Thad Woodman through co-founder number two, Larry Levitsky, uh, in maybe March of 2013. Uh, I come from a family that has a lot of writers in it. Um, but I am a lawyer by, by training. I did a couple of years in L.A. as a screenwriter. Um, but, you know, I really love writing. And the original vision of Inkshares, the original shares in Inkshares, was we were going to securitize the royalty distribution for a book so that not only could you pre-order it, but you could purchase a share of future royalties. Um, that was the initial reason for including the securities attorney, me, on the, the founding team uh, for, for Inkshares. Um, the SEC, um, where I used to work, is or has really dragged its heels on implementing um, uh, kind of equity-based crowdfunding. So the question kind of became about a year ago, well, if we can't crowdfund books, maybe a year and a half ago now, like crowdfund in terms of giving out equity, so equity crowdfund, what are we going to do? And the goal was like, well, do we do T-shirts? Do we like, What do we do to make this special? And we ended up saying, you know, hey, what can we do that Kickstarter doesn't? And we just started to focus on really like, the production of books. Um, it's truly amazing to see, like, now, um, I think everybody's probably seen the covers for, like, you know, for instance, an unattractive vampire. Um, you know, we, we've worked really hard in the last year to provide pr 
pretty top quality um, editorial and design services. Uh, at the Shares Holiday Party the other night, it was truly fantastic to see um, the evolution from when I met Thad, you know, just a little over two years ago, I met Jeremy. Uh, you know, we just had this this idea. It was like, we're going to work really diligently and just pitch everyone we can to try and raise money for this company. So just like to join this kind of chat right now and actually see InShares authors with books that are going into bookstores is kind of unbelievable. Uh, I can't imagine how that uh, that would feel. Actually, I know that like really tiring. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, speaking of the uh, Ink Shares party, uh, it looked like you guys had a good time the other night. There was a lot of a lot of people there. A lot of the authors that are are kind of in the area, um, were were there with you guys. Um, who was there uh, again? Uh, yeah. Let's see. We had Allison Carlson who wrote the Winston Churchill book, The Man Within. Um, we had Chris Calvin, who, um, to give you an optic into kind of where we were two years ago, we didn't even really have, um, like, InkShares wasn't even really an operable website yet. Um, and I was at the San Francisco Writers Conference, and uh, I met Chris, and I said, hey, Chris, my name's Adam, and we're going to have this service called InkShares. It doesn't quite exist yet, but I read her manuscripts, and I, I thought it was really awesome. Um, and she kind of agreed to just kind of wait for us to get our, our shit together and then publish with us. So to have her now, um, you know, get that book out there, to see it sell, to see it blurb by multiple New York Times uh, bestsellers, to see it in Barnes & Noble, to see it in actually the Amazon bookstore, um, it's truly amazing. And then at the party, Chris and I got a glass of wine, and she said, hey, I have something for you. And I said, what do you have? And she said, the manuscript for my next book. Really? Yeah. Very cool. Well, I know that you're being courted by all these New York literary agents. And she said, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to do it on InShares. And that was just like my biggest like fist bump that I, that I just fist bump that I could give right then. Because yeah, that's that's one of the things that I that, uh when, when I first signed up with InShares, I had a, a, a call, a Skype call with Jeremy just because I want to understand more what the company was about and what you guys were doing. And that's that's one of the things that really sold me on the company is the idea like the first of all I could kind of feel the passion for books in the way he was talking, and also the fact that he was saying he was he was talking about the company very much in the way that he wanted it to be more like a traditional publishing company just with a different approach to selecting the books, and that really sold me. And I, I really saw that when my, when my own book started going into the, the production phases and working with Girl Friday, the, the, the level of care that both InkShares and Girl Friday put into making the books quality reading material was very, very heartening. How, how did you guys come about working with Girl Friday? Is it the only production bo uh, company that you work with? And how does that relationship work if it's not asking too many trade secrets? No, the, the lawyer in me, in me would, would probably object to that as compound, but we'll let it go. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, yeah, so when we, like our, our first book that we ever tackled um, was Daniel Walsh's The Cat's Pajamas, which is actually over here on, on my bookshelf. And, you know, I think at the time um, Carol Golden was doing the design for the book and uh, Kim Keller was doing the, um, the editorial for it, and they're both, um, you know, folks that freelance. They're both uh, kind of from, I think, Houghton Mifflin is where they had most of their years, and it was truly fantastic to work with them. But 
kind of relatively early on, we realized that an ad hoc approach wasn't going to do it. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of talent and experience that goes into producing a book, um, and our energies really needed to be directed at, for me, um, finding partners to get them on the platform, and for Jeremy and Thad for, for writing code. Um, we started working originally with McFadden and Thorpe, which is a um, SF-based outfit that spun off from Chronicle Books. They've done a lot of our books. Jim, uh, of course, they did the original cover for Unattractive Vampire, which is still, I don't know if you guys haven't seen it, it's pretty awesome. I think that one day when an Unattractive Vampire is a bestseller, um, we'll do a really cool um, like one-off run of uh, some original some original covers. Um, but yeah, Girl Friday has handled all of our editorial since for probably a little less than a year now. We got to know them and answer your question through Matt. Um, Matt, as you guys probably all know, is our vice president of both marketing and operations. Um, he used to work at FSG, Mark Strauss-Rebrew, which is an imprint of Macmillan, one of the best indie publishers. And then he spent about a little over four years at, um, uh, at Amazon. So when Matt came aboard, he said, hey, we need to find a way to streamline this. It's taking too much of our time, and I know these folks at Girl Friday, and I think we'll be an awesome fit. That's pretty cool. It's very interesting. I, think well, I, I like to find out how the sausage is made for these things. <laughs> Go on, sorry, I cut you off. No, no worries. Most of the last two years, um, you know, most things probably look like relatively coherent from far away. Um, you know, we are like, we're always like, okay, let's solve a problem. Um, a year ago, it was like, how do we design our first book? And then it became, how do you design 10 books? And then it became, how do you create a system that can design 100 books? Um, and all of this without sacrificing quality, because, you know, you said something about traditional publishers. There's a lot of things that we think traditional publishers don't do as effectively as they could if they would get out of the comfort zone and embrace technology, but there's also a lot of things that they do do very, very well, and one of them is top-shelf editorial um, and design. So, yeah, I think that we endeavor not just to meet the standard, but to see and push forward. Sounds good to me. So do you guys have anything, like, you, you know, you mentioned something uh, short-term is going to be happening, this, uh, something with Legendary, but do you have any long-term plans, because we're going to be done with the interview, and I want to know, like, what to look forward to, say, in the next year or five years for Inc. from Inkshares. What do you, what, what, what's your uh, pie-in-the-sky dream for the company? Settle Mars, you know, just really <laughs> be the first bookstore on the Red Planet. Red Planet is <laughs> major uh, imprint after Quill. I'm no, there, you should I see about there. publishing Elon Musk's uh, biography then. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the thought has crossed our mind. I, I think that there's probably um, a $10 million advance sitting for him somewhere in New York City. But yeah, uh, you know. Like he needs more money. Like he needs more money. Uh, no, that's a, that's a good point, right? If he doesn't want to make any money off Hyperloop, why would he make any money off of his biography? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, part of what's allowed us to survive. Um, and grow over the last two years is being pretty adaptable and trying to solve problems that are um, in front of us in terms of like where we want to be in five years. You know, I think at a, at a really high level, we'd want to be the first stop for any major author or um, any emerging author. Um, you know, in terms of like how we get there in the next year, um, I don't think much of Gary is, is on here right now. Um, I see his I see his icon, but I'm not sure if if he's here. Um, 
Do we not? Uh, well, well he, he, I don't know if he's listening because he said he had other things to take care of until his actual I'm here, interview. I'm here. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He is here. yeah, yeah, he is here. Um, no, you know, like, like I'm here. I've been, I've been listening. I've just had the camera off so that you don't accidentally spot anything embarrassing. Your picture <laughs> is great, by the way. Just so okay. you know. <laughs> um, you know, like I, I want to have more folks like Gary on the platform. Um, super talented, down to earth. Um, people who just really get on and connect and, and kill it with their writing. Um, you know, uh, let's see, the people on the chat who I know the best are Jim and, and Gary. Um, you know, there was a pretty direct line from, from Gary to, to Jim. Like, you know, Gary launched on the platform. That was probably the biggest deal for us at the time, maybe still the biggest deal in, like, the two and a half years of InShares. Um, it spread the word about us. It gave all of our authors a lot of validation and brought in a lot of people who were very interested in a certain type of book. Um, you know, through Gary, we met Veronica. Um, through Veronica, we saw the launch of the first contest. Um, I want to see a lot more of that. There's so many talented, amazing writers out there um, that have like very strong social media presences. Um, the more of those folks that we get on the platform, um, the more readers and book buyers there are on the platform for absolutely um, everyone to kind of meet and, and connect with. So that is probably, for me, um, the number one goal um, for me to accomplish. In terms of the number one thing that I would like to see on the platform, I want to see someone do an Andy Weir. You know, I want to see someone who, I mean, Gary was already a super established talent with a very large social following when he got on the platform. I really want to see someone who um, is crazy talented. I'm hoping it'll be one or many of you guys um, just really um, excel and succeed. You know, I want to see you guys just selling lots of books um, because for me, that will be um, when we really succeeded as an idea as a company. Um, when someone can launch Awning Shares who has a really wonderful idea and really great writing and a fantastic manuscript and can um, excel in the same way that Gary did. Um, I'll never forget, it was February 3rd of last year when Gary launched, and I think we sold that book in 72 countries, and, you know, a thousand people signed up on, um, you know, on shares that day. Um, I want to see a lot of that next year. Well, sounds good to me. I mean, as as one of the authors publishing on Inkshare, of course that sounds good to me. Um, thank, thanks very much for ha for uh, for coming on, Adam. That answers a lot of questions, gives us good perspective on Inkshares and what to expect. That was very informative. The other the other goal is, of course, to not have Inkshares. Uh, sorry, uh, Theodore here eat my um, eat my slippers with the regularity and frequency that he does. <laughs> Well, are your maybe less meat flavored slippers? <laughs> yeah, it was the salmon jerky flavored uh, slip-ons that, that that did it. Yeah, this may maybe revise that choice. <laughs> Anyways, thanks. Thank you very much for being on, Adam. That was very cool. Cheers. Yeah. So next year's uh, party, we're gonna be there. I think possibly. I can't wait. Well, uh, next year, if Jeremy lets me, if he gives me enough of a BD budget, we'll do one in every American city. There you go. <laughs> thanks Bye. a lot. Bye. Uh -oh. We'll see if I'm invited. <laughs> All right, so our, our next little feature on the uh, on this broadcast is going to be a reading of a few pages from Dax Harrison, which is a book that's currently funding on Inkshare. And we have, we have this script that we're going to do as a sort of, uh, I want to say, a, a radio play. 
for those who have the patience for that. <laughs> so th- th- this is Kara Weston's gig, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put her on the spot and have her explain what's going to happen, Kara. No, don't put me on the spot. Uh, it should be Tony. It should be Tony. Fine, uh, Tony is the Tony. writer. So yeah, let's go. It's his screenplay. Let's go to oh, Tony. No. <laughs> Fine, Tony. Uh-oh. So welcome, Tony. How you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. So we're yeah. we're going to be reading your script. Yeah. So um, well, if you've checked out my the Dax Harrison project page, you might notice. Uh, I, well, I make it no secret this was originally a, a film script that I wrote until I finished and said, "Oh wow, now what do I do with it?" because I don't have any Hollywood contacts to sell this to or anything, and decided, let's make it a book. And then I found Ink Shares, and so we're here. But so this is, uh, yeah, this is actually pulled straight from the original draft, which was a screenplay. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, each of us is going to be uh, impersonating a, a character from that script. I'll, I'll be playing a computer, which is weird, because I write about robots a lot. And do, do we want to do a You're already very, typecast. Yeah, I know. It's horrible. This is why I'm having so much trouble financing, uh, funding my second book that has nothing to do with robots. So the, uh, do, do we want to just do a quick roll call of who is going to do character, or do we want to just jump in? Uh, let's do a roll call. Um, I'm actually going to be playing uh, a person named O'Reilly. So, And I believe he's an old doctor. So, Who else do we have? Tony, who are you playing? Uh, I will be our titular hero, Dax Harrison, Commander Dax Harrison. Um, I'll also go ahead and uh, uh, read off the little blocks of description and stuff, you know, because it's like script. So yeah. So who else has a role? Who's playing Logan? I'm playing Logan. Supposed to be the badass, I think. <laughs> well, uh, of course. I can't, I can't wait to hear your badass voice. <laughs> <laughs> And I will be playing Kiko, a uh, a child, a little girl. John, John, who are you playing, Mr. Well, John Robin? Playing, ladies uh, I'm playing Sanders, the enthusiastic young cadet and Dax fanboy. And is that is that everybody, uh, yep, Tony? That's everyone. I think that's it. Yep. All right. Well, let's get it on. So here we go. A reading from. Dax Harrison. Oh my. Oh, now, uh, yeah, Kara had me uh, write up a quick little, just a brief intro oh. to set the scene, just so people aren't completely lost. No, so, we like him to be lost around here, apparently, you know. So. <laughs> completely. Yeah. We'll just it, it'll we'll just launch right into uh, the Force Awakens spoilers and just shock everybody. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. Here. We- Good. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> Okay, here we go. So, Commander Dax Harrison, celebrated but bumbling hero of the Alliance, is overseeing a celebration marking ten years of intergalactic peace. During a battle reenactment, a warship appears in the skies above, catching the Alliance off guard and open firing on the event. As everyone evacuates, Dax escapes on his cargo ship, the Crichton. Joining him are Sam, the ship's artificial intelligence, Logan, a by-the-book soldier recently assigned as Dax's personal guard slash second-in-command, O'Reilly, an Alliance doctor along for the ride against his will, and Sanders, an enthusiastic cadet and major Dax fanboy. We join the crew as the Crichton has just completed a hyperspace jump, narrowly, excuse me, narrowly escaping the attacking warship. Okay, here we go. 
interior cockpit. The crew reels in the spiraling cockpit as Dax attempts to regain control. He does, but they have a new problem now. Sanders squirms in his seat. Why do I feel funny? He watches dumbfounded as Dax's empty liquor bottle floats past him, then smashes to the ground. Sam? Hull is intact, but artificial gravity has been compromised. <laughs> oh, great. That would be you, Sam. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid my connections are severed, Commander. You will need to make rep the repairs locally. Oh, terrific. Gravity drives out? And not out. Flexing. Keep your straps on. I can help. Fine. Hold this. Dax grabs a tool bag sitting in the corner and tosses it to him. They both head into the ship. Interior. Ship interior. The two men move quickly through the ship's main corridor. A word of caution. Gravity fluctuations will increase the strength in proximity to the damage. That means it's going to get worse? Yeah, I hope you got a strong stomach. Suddenly, the two are yanked to the ground. The side of Dax's face slams to the floor. Ugh, and a strong head. They press on, crawling with the weight of increased gravity on their backs. Cockpit. Logan unstraps herself and moves to the console. What are you doing? Figuring out where we are and what the hell is going on. Those crocodile bastards just declared war. That's what's going on. Jump to the agro sector that just be might close enough to reach central. Interior engineering. Still stuck to the floor, Dax strains to reach the door panel to the engine room. His hand is almost there when the gravity reverses. Dax, Sanders, and the toolkit are thrown to the ceiling with a painful thud. Ugh, are you serious? Cockpit. A frustrated Logan isn't having any luck at communications. Any Alliance personnel in the vicinity, come in. This is Lieutenant Weaver on the cargo vessel Crichton. Oh, uh, forget it, Weaver. They must have taken out the relays before the attack. We're not reaching anybody out here. Suddenly, a child's voice breaks through the static. I copy, Weaver. O'Reilly and Logan exchange confused looks. Who is this? Communications Officer Kiko, Lieutenant. Are you stationed nearby, Officer? Yes, sir. I mean, ma'am. Call Relay 742 operating for Argo Sector. Do you need assistance? Um, yes. We are in an emergency situation. Requesting permission to dock for repairs. Transmitting coordinators na coordinates now. See you soon, Crichton. Engineering. <clears throat> the door opens and Dax and Sanders walk in on the engine room ceiling. <sighs> Alright, Sam. What are we looking for here? A large panel located above the starboard engine. Sanders and Dax look ahead at the twin engines in the upside-down room. Okay, starboard. This way. He moves to the right. Sir, isn't it this way? Well, starboard is right, right? Yes, but we're facing the rear of the ship. Yeah, but we're upside down and facing... Uh, Sam, which one is it? Continue to your right, Commander. Ha! They do so, and quickly find the panel against the wall. Dax pops it open, and some damaged wires spark at him from the inside. Oh, okay, lots of wires trying to burn my face off. Connect the right to, to blue to engage environmental backup systems. This will restore artificial gravity until further repairs are completed. 
Right, got it. Here we go. Sanders, tools. Sanders hands him a wire cutter from the toolkit. Dax snips the red wire, which causes the gravity to zero. Both men begin to slowly drift off the ceiling. Dax holds onto the panel while Sanders floats away, awkwardly trying to right himself. Commander? Just relax, Sanders. Try to swim yourself straight. I, uh, I can't swim, sir. Jeez, how'd you make it through the academy? He finishes the repairs, crosses the red, wire, red and blue wires, and twists them firmly together. With gravity restored, Dax lands safely on his feet. Sanders lands flat on his back. Ha! Piece of cake! Sanders? Uh... And, and I think scene. that's scene, and right? Scene. Scene. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I will not be doing the voiceover for my uh, for the audio version of my book. <laughs> oh, that was great! Okay. That was great. Well, thanks everyone for participating. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you very much, JF. I really appreciated it. <laughs> I I stole the uh, uh the uh, a voice from another character that I hear on podcast sometimes. Anyways, that no, that was interesting. <laughs> I apologize to anyone who had to listen to me, but everybody else did really good. Tony, thank you. Um, and that was from Dax Harrison, which is currently funding on Inkshares. You only have a few days left, right, Tony? Uh, yeah, we got like uh. 15 minutes left. Um, <laughs> um, no, it's... Uh, gosh, I lost track. I think as of today, it's seven days. Oh, about six and change now since we're coming to late in the day now. Uh, I got 36 more orders to go, I think, to reach Quill. So uh, cross my fingers. Everybody watching, go buy a copy or two or 12. Well, right now, there's my, there's there's 18 viewers. If everyone pre-orders two copies, you're, you're gold. You're done. Yeah, you're in. So That would be very nice. <laughs> Dear viewers, make it happen. That'd be great. Thank you very much, Tony, and ho hopefully it gets funded. Uh, I, I'm going to try to push a bit on a few people I know because it's one of those books that I want to see. Well, I say that about a lot of books, but I wouldn't be talking about these books if I didn't want to read them. So, <laughs> so next up, uh, we have a short interview with Mr. Gary Witta, who is the uh, the author of Abomination, uh, he's he's the the guy that you heard earlier during the interview with Adam. He's a, he's a screenwriter for uh, Book of Eli and a few more things, including the probably today even more much more anticipated than one week ago, uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Gary, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. So. I, I guess the first question is kind of a continuation of what Adam was talking about. How did you how did you come to start working with Inkshare? Did you approach you from what I understand from what Adam Adam was saying? I, I had this book that I that I wanted to write. You know, as, as you mentioned, I'm a, a a screenwriter. It's kind of my day job. And I originally had um, imagined it as a, a movie idea, but it occurred to me that there were just too many reasons why it might be. Uh, a tough sell as a movie, but I really wanted to tell the story, and I also wanted to just try doing something different, like write in a different style. I think when you're used to, if you're a screenwriter and you go to novels or vice versa or whatever, you go into a totally different form. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to stretch yourself. It feels a little bit like learning a second language because you have to approach the writing in such a different way. So it was, I did it really just kind of initially as a as a fun experiment, uh, but then you know when the book was done, I thought, well, you know, I should try to do something with it. And I think one of the great things about the, the, the world that we live in now is that you don't have to 
you know, your 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 manuscript doesn't have to sit on a shelf gathering dust anymore if like a handful of publishers don't like it. There are so many other ways now to basically bypass all of those guys, all those old institutions, and get your book to market. Back in the day, we used to have what they called vanity publishing, where they where you would pay a company, and it was really kind of a bit of a scam where they would print these books and you know there'd be some kind of distribution but not really but it was really just for people that wanted to have kind of the feeling of like their you know their book being made so they could put it on a shelf but it wasn't really a real way to publish a book i think that's all gone away now and replaced by this much more legitimate world of of self publishing through amazon and the crowdfunding approach that inkshares is doing and i initially had planned to self publish it i had spoken to um, other authors who had been very successful with self-publishing, people like Hugh Howie and Andy Weir, who had self-published their books and gone on to have huge success, picked their brains a little bit about you know, kind of the do's and don'ts that they had learned along the way. And I was really kind of all set to self-publish it through Amazon. Like I said, that's the great beauty of this now, is that even if you get rejected by every um, uh, publisher in town, just like Harry Potter was, shows how much they know, you can get rejected by all these major publishers um, but you know, maybe you do really have something that they, that they don't see. One of my favorite things is there's a website that has like all the rejection letters for like Frank Sinatra and U2 and the Beatles and J.K. Rowling and, and you know, all these great talents that, that were somehow not recognized by these institutional gatekeepers, but they found a way to uh, find an audience and achieve great success anyway. And I think that's so true of many, many authors who may well be sitting on a great manuscript, but just don't know how to get it through that in that typical publishing process and self-publishing I think is a great conduit around that and we've seen some tremendous success stories so I was really down the road of, of doing that I love the idea that I could just push a button and put it up on the website and I have a, a, you know enough of a following from the other writing and the work that I've done in the past that I could kind of bang the drum for it and hopefully direct some people towards it um, and I was really close to, to doing that to self-publishing it and then my um, agent contacted me and said, I just had a meeting with this company called Inkshares, you should talk to them. And I met Adam and they had read the book and really liked it. And um, the one thing that they were able to, to do, which I wasn't confident I was going to be able to do through self-publishing, and this might sound like, I don't know, kind of egotistical, but I think like all authors want this, is one of the things I said to Adam early on is like, I just want it to look like a quote-unquote real book. Like a kind of book that where you would go into... Barnes and Noble or whatever and see it on the shelf, it looks like it belongs there in terms of the artwork and the production values. You shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't judge books by the cover, but we do. If a book has a crappy cover or if it looks kind of cheaply produced, I think that makes you much less likely to give it a fair shot. So it was very important to me that it looked just like a nightly, just looked like this kind of quality item. That, that goes the, also the, for the layout in the, the interior, right? Sorry, say again? That, that also goes for the layout in the interior. Like, you could get a really professional cover, but the interior, the layout could look very amateurish. Yeah, also. and you can see it. Like, I've actually seen a lot of self, I've seen a lot of self-published books, and the quality varies widely. And you can see, like, if you go through Amazon's own self-publishing system, you will get a physical book that way, but you flip through it, and it kind of looks more like the printing and the binding and everything just feels more like a glossy instruction manual than a book. And you just know it when you see it, like the way that a book is bound, the typography, the type of paper that's used. You know, Again, I feel like you just know when you see a quote-unquote real book or, or you don't. And Inkshares was able to um, do that. I think you know one of the things I love about Abomination is they made just a really beautifully produced book. Like I said, it looks like, a, looks like the real thing. 
and um, that's not easy to do through self-publishing. You obviously get that when you go through a major publisher, but there's also a lot of stuff that you give up, which is why I think we're seeing more authors move away from the big institutional publishers. And Inkshares, I think, is this occupies this really nice middle ground where you know they're very, very transparent and very friendly towards authors, and they give you a lot of equity in the in, in the in the production. Coming from my background as a screenwriter, where I almost ha I, I typically have almost zero um, authority over what the finished film is. As a screenwriter, you typically don't have a lot of say once you've done the script, what kind of film eventually gets made. But with the book, with the Inkshares relationship, I got to approve the cover. You know the quotes on the back, the typography. The I had I had you know kind of quote unquote final cut in terms of you know what the edits were that went into the into the book. Coming from my screenwriting background, that's really a, a revelation to have that much authorial authority. I, um, I just so turned I, in I my final. And I love the fact well, that like I said, they're able to kind of really bring um, their relationships with uh, with printers and binders and distributors to to um, you know to, to again to kind of give you all of the the great benefits of, 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 of producing a book like by self-publishing, but having a book that I think at the end of the day looks and feels and is distributed in, in a way uh, that's much closer to the kind of book that you would see, you know, from Random House or, you know, one of these big guys. That's cool. I, w I, was, uh, I was going to ask, because the... So how how was the actual campaign for you? Because you obviously you come from maybe a bit of a different brat background than the rest of us that are currently on the panel, being that you you, you already had that following like you mentioned. But how how was the campaign for you? How was it being able to? Uh, did you find any difficulties sort of channeling your following towards Inkshare, or was it easier? Well, what's interesting is part of the reason why I I did go with Inkshares and why I was considering. Um, uh, self-publishing for a while is that I, I had assumed perhaps arrogantly that whatever profile I had as a writer in film and screenwriting and stuff like that would make it a bit easier for me to get a traditional publishing deal. The book was actually turned down by a couple of traditional publishers because um, uh, you know partly I guess because they, they didn't like it but also because they didn't feel like the mic, my name just meant nothing to them. It's like so what you've written some films in the literary world that doesn't really mean anything. I think there may even be some some snobbery at work there where they just kind of feel like, well, you know, as a screenwriter, you kind of do just like trashy popcorn stuff. You know, when, when, when we publish books, we try to do stuff that's like a little more uh, august than that. And so I, I, I basically discovered that, you know, in terms of wanting to become an author, I really was starting from square one just the way anyone else would. My, my previous profile as a writer really meant nothing at all in the world of getting a book published. So that's why I looked into self-publishing, but then when uh, the time came to crowdfund the book, uh, the fact that I do have a little bit of a social media profile and you know, I'm able to kind of reach an audience uh, through the work that I've done in the past uh, made the crowdfunding, I think, relatively easy. You know, we put the page up and you have, I don't remember what it is, however, however many days to hit your funding goal, uh, but we hit it, like I think, within 48 hours because I was very, very... Um, proactive and uh, to the point of like being obnoxious and annoying with how much I was like banging the drum and I and I and I went and I and I spoke to friends of mine who uh, you know have websites and blogs and things like you know do you want to would you talk to me about this would you give me some coverage and really kind of called in a lot of favors to be honest to try and get as much uh, as many eyeballs as possible on on the uh, the funding website to try and hit that target because you know it's one thing to be turned down by a bunch of publishers you can say well what do they know but if you get turned down by 
the people by the crowd, I think that can probably be like they probably have a much more damaging effect on your on your ego as an author. So I was really I really wanted to hit the the target. I think I probably would have been uh, very demoralized if I if I hadn't been able been able to kind of garner enough reader interest. So there was that 48 hour period there where I was like really really hitting it up on social media, really doing everything I could to kind of drive traffic towards the site and get people to chip in a little bit towards the book. Um, and in that case, that did work. So I think um, it's it's weird. Like I said, in the the traditional publishing world, having any kind of profile or fame or whatever you want to call it, really didn't do very much for me. But in the in the when you go directly to an audience, to if you have any fans out there, I think it makes that I did have a leg up at that point. So I think my crowdfunding experience, my 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 experience in trying to get a book published in a traditional way, I think was typical of like any author who's starting from scratch. When it came to crowdfunding, though, I think I did have a, a, a bit of a leg up over, I guess, many other authors who don't have the luxury of um, you know, building up a little bit of a fan base that I had. It's actually one of the pieces of advice that I got from Andy Weir, you know, who wrote The Martian, which he self-published. People forget he self-published that book. The original version of The Martian uh, went up on his website for free. And you know, he would do various edits, and then he published a Kindle version, and it kind of went... From there, and I asked him, you know, what what it was that he did. You know, aside from writing an amazing story, what it was that that he did that he felt was the secret of the success. And he's and the one thing that he said was, I had built enough of an audience over time through previous works that I had done. You know, because The Martian was by far was far from the first thing he had written. He had written all kinds of other little short stories and novellas and things like that. And he had built an audience of just a few thousand people, which doesn't sound like very much. But it's like kindling, right? It's just enough to get a fire going. If you then hit that audience with a, of a few thousand people with something like The Martian, which you know is the kind of book that when you read it, you want to say to ten of your friends, you got to read this book. That few thousand people suddenly turns into fifty thousand, and you know, and it grows exponentially from there. So that was that was kind of one thing that I that I took from this whole experience in in terms of like something I think you can uh, other authors could uh, benefit from. Yeah, and if, well, if you look at if you look at it mathematically, if you have just a thousand people, all you need is seventy five percent of these people to pre order a book, and you fund on Inkshare. So that yeah, and, that and, works. And Andy had taken the time to really invest in building that audience by having a website where he was essentially giving his work away for free. Again, it's very very difficult uh, when you're an author with no profile uh, to get people to read your stuff because the real cost these when books are so cheap these days, the real cost in terms of a reader getting getting a reader to look at your book is not money but time it take you know it's like why read your book when i could just as easily read you know one of these others and i've got limited time available Absolutely. so to get someone to convince someone to give your book a chance is very tricky one of the things that Hugh Howie did you know Hugh's, Hughes had tremendous success with books like Wool and Sand which again he self published through Amazon was he broke them down into these episodic chapters which is actually the way that Charles Dickens used to do it back in the day they would release them almost in these kind of serialized chapters you know if you remember he didn't just put Wool out as a novel he just he wrote this wrote this one little piece this little prologue that set this world and characters in motion and ended in a way that you were like oh I got to read the next part of that and then he would, and then he would get. He was almost like a, like a trail of breadcrumbs towards getting people to read it. So I think if you can just get people to give up a little bit of their time to read something, and you can snag them with that, whether it be an excerpt or a free chapter or something, that's what Q and Andy had done. And you know, it's obviously they, they've obviously uh, parlayed that into tremendous success. Well, you know, um, I think that we all understand uh, whoring ourselves out a little bit here. I I, I want to go back just real quick to when you're talking about um, actually writing. Um, uh, screenwriting versus maybe 
um, writing a novel. Um, when you were writing Abomination, did you uh, have any specific challenges uh, for adapting what you kind of do as your day job with the screenwriting versus putting into the format of a novel? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, I wasn't even real. Again, I wasn't even really sure if I could do it. I mean, I don't think all writing is the same, and they are very, very specific different forms. And screenwriting is a very, very different beast to a novel, um, perhaps yeah, perhaps more different than, than most other types. And that the, the screenwriting isn't a form of writing that's really meant to be read and consumed by the end audience. A, screen, a, a screenplay is really just a document, like a blueprint for a house, so that other you know technicians and artists can come along and build the thing, the film, which is actually what you go and see. A really well-written screenplay can be a joy to read in its own right, and some of the best ones are published. But people don't typically, people outside of my business don't typically read screenplays for entertainment unless they're you know trying to learn how to do it themselves. They want to write their own screenplays. So, uh, so that you know, it's just, it's a very very different style. It's a very different form. Uh, a screenplay isn't the finished document. It's really just a blueprint for what will be the finished document of the film itself. So I didn't know if I could I could do it. And like I said, it is kind of like lear like learning a second language. You start from scratch. And I wrote that first chapter just not knowing what the hell I was doing. Like I literally, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, I literally Googled when I was starting, like how many pages is a novel? Like, I just didn't, I was like, like how long is a book? Like I just don't know. I went and looked at the ones on my shelf. Here's a quick show of hands. Who, who's done this? Who's, who's had to do this? <laughs> yeah, those of you down there, it's who's okay, done it? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this is a safe place. Um, <laughs> With, you know, and, and just stupid shit like that. It's you know, again, I I know a screenplay is 120 pages, usually a page a minute. You get a two-hour movie at the end of it. Um, I and I know, I understand how the structure and stuff works within that. Books are obviously a lot more fluid. You know, I mean, again, just to use the Harry Potter analogy, the Harry Potter books. I think the last one is like three or four times longer than the first one. So a book is you have the luxury of a book being really as long as it needs to be. But like, so for example, I was writing my my book in like a pages document on my Mac. But I didn't know, I knew how many words I had, but I didn't know, like, okay, so is that a book? Like, is that a thick, is that a thick book? Is that a thin book? Like, is, the, is that enough of a story? I don't know. Um, and I would look up, like, the word counts for some, you know, comparable books because I was just trying to get at least in the ballpark of what felt like a novel-length story. And the reality is I probably didn't need to do any of that. Just write the story. And maybe your story is a short story. Maybe your story is a novella. Maybe it's like a five-volume epic. Just write, just let the story be what it needs to be, and don't worry about stuff like length, which I, which I think a lot of amateur novelists, and I, you know, was and still am to largely an amateur novelist. at the time that I was writing is trying to figure out some of this, some of this basic stuff. And I got the first chapter down, and I was like, you know, just a lot of things like, am I allowed to? Can I jump around in characters' heads? Can I do that, or do I have to stick in like one character's point of view? And I ended up doing a bunch of stuff. In the in the book that didn't necessarily conform to the rules of how you're supposed to write a book, but it just kind of felt organically to me the way that the story needed to be told. So I ended up ignoring a lot of uh, writing advice. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily something I would suggest other people do, but it worked for me to just kind of let the story tell itself through me rather than trying to take the ideas that I had and funnel them through a bunch of like you know how tos and you know, lists of things that you do and don't do. I really do think this is true in screenwriting, and it's true, I think, in any form of writing, is that writers that are trying to get started and break in and, and come up with their first, you know, really good piece of writing often really, really hamstring themselves by reading too much stuff about 
what what to do and what not to do. They read books about how to write screenplays. They read articles about how to write novels. And there's a lot of great advice in there, but you really have to learn, I think, to kind of take what feels like it's going to work for you and leave the rest and not and not allow yourself to get stuck in the kind of thinking of like, oh, well, this article said I shouldn't do this, so I shouldn't do it. Like, just let, you know, let your own instincts um, guide you. Like I said, with Abomination, um, I, I ended up doing a lot of kind of omnipresent kind of jumping around in characters' heads, which... I had read a bunch of articles say don't ever do that, just stay with one character's point of view. And but I had a lot of scenes in my story where it's just two characters talking, and I didn't have the luxury of only being in one of those characters' heads. I wanted to be able to ping pong back and forth. And I think as long as you can find a way through the writing to communicate whose head you know you're in at any given time, you can do that. You can break that rule. There's a fa- the, the 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 example I always give at um, writing conventions when I talk to people conference and stuff, there's a very famous screenwriting book um, called Save the Cat, and there's this whole theory of like, you have to save the cat, which basically means your hero has to do something really great at the beginning of the movie so that characters understand that he or she is a sympathetic character that, you know, that we're going to want to root for, and like saving a cat is like the one example that they give. With the Book of Eli, I literally killed the cat on the first page. And we ended up making that movie, and it was quite successful. So I always use it as an example of, like, don't get bogged down in uh, too much of the instructional stuff, the conferences, the seminars, the how-tos. I mean, again, by all means, read it. But I always tell people, if you want to learn to write a movie, read great screenplays. And if you want to learn to write a book, just read great books. And you will just inherently kind of learn it without even realizing that you've done it through osmosis. The more great writing you read, um, I think the the more likely you are you are to be able to just produce it yourself without even really knowing how you're doing it. No great writer like writes according to a formula. They just it just comes out of them, and you get better at it through hours and hours of practice until eventually you're kind of able to write something fairly decent without even really trying or even necessarily being able to come and explain why it is that it's working. But you've just kind of subconsciously um, subsumed enough stuff that you're now able to kind of you know put it back out into the world. I don't know if that any makes any sense, but like this whole idea of like reading too much about how to do it uh, is well, kind I, of a is kind of a big bugbear of mine. I, I think I, I think I can sum it up because it's something that I see a lot. Like I'm I'm in a couple of writing group here uh, in my hometown, and I see what you're describing in a few people that have been writing and mostly reading about writing for several years, but have never attempted to self-publish or submit to anything. They're not doing anything with their writing. I think you're the one who put it actually said it the best way. It's just, you can read about these guides and about the how-tos and all that, but you use the term not get bogged down in it, and I think that's the difference. You can educate yourself, but without getting stuck in the education and just moving forward and actually doing something. Yeah, re- I mean, by all means, read great writers talking about writing and their process and how Or they listen do- to them like we are. Yeah, yeah. and... and um, and but and 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 again t- and learn from that. But I think you know that there's there's almost kind of a snake oil uh, type business out there of people that would think they can teach you um, how to write. And I don't think it is necessarily something that's that that can be taught. I think you either have inherently a, a basic amount of ability or you don't. And learning and doing it through, uh, you know, I'm fairly autodidactic. I just do it by learning and you know writing a bunch of terrible stuff. And you then you write a bunch of stuff that's not quite so terrible because you learn from the bad stuff before. Um, and you know it can be a slow and painful process, but I don't think there are any shortcuts to it by reading about 
um, you know, formulas or, you know, ways to, the, the, ways to, to do and don't write a novel. I guarantee if you look at like 20 or 30 of like the most successful novelists of the last 100 years or even the last 10, very, very few of them will say to you, oh, yeah, I read this book or I went on this seminar or whatever. You know, J.K. Rowling wrote, I don't know why I keep coming back to Harry Potter. I'm not even like a huge fan of those books, but they're so <laughs> super successful that I think they're kind of like the, you know, we keep coming back to like this is the level of success that is possible. Um, as far as I know, she basically just sat, you know, every day in a, you know, in, in a train station, a, a, a lunchroom, and just wrote those and just wrote those books. And it was a story that was in her, and you know, it just naturally came out. And again, I think there are any given time, I think she could have read like a book or a blog article about, oh, your character must do this or that, and it would have like caused her to second guess herself. And suddenly, we live in the world. So suddenly, you know, I'm living in an alternate reality that doesn't have Harry Potter. So um, yes, be very careful about that stuff. Um, so, I, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I mean, we've been talking to Gary, and we've been talking to Gary about his experience writing, and but we haven't described his excellent book, Abomination. I was wondering if Gary could give us a, a quick synopsis of the book so that anybody who has not pre-ordered, well, pre-ordered, hasn't ordered it or bought it at their local bookstore can go pick up a copy because I, I really enjoyed it, so I, I think others would too. But then again, I'm into the horror fantasy genre, so I don't know if that's everyone. Yeah, one thing, one thing that I, one thing by way of advice that I would say to people is when people ask you like, what's your book about? Which you know, anytime you say you're an author or you say you're writing or you've written a book, that's always the first question: what's your book about? Be able to to have a you know a nice concise answer for that question. You're not going, oh well, it's kind of sort of like, and you like ramble on and like that's not a great sales pitch for your book. You should be able to write you know, a nice little paragraph that, you know, that, that both concisely explains what your book is um, and, uh, and, you know, makes people want to read it. And you, should ha and you should have a verbal version of that as well that just sounds kind of organic and good. Like, you should know what your story is. And it's also a good, it's also a good thing, like, just you should inherently know what your story is about. If you can't distill it down to, like, a simple paragraph or a premise or a couple of lines there might actually be a problem with your story if you're not able to articulate it in a very simple straightforward way the reason why i know that this is true is because i've never been able to do it myself ever when people <laughs> ask me like you are right now what's abomination about i kind of go uh it's kind of about this guy and his vikings and magic and this, <laughs> this thing happens and i just not good i've just never been good at it um so i always struggle i am but, sold i am sold <laughs> The best, the best Vikings, I've really. ever come up with, I guess, is that you know it's kind of a combination of medieval history and and uh, magic and horror. It's kind of an interesting mashup, I think, in that regard. This is why I never thought it would really be made as a movie because it's just kind of too like funky in its in its premise. But the you know it's set during the uh, ninth set in ninth century England during the Viking invasions when King Alfred the Great was trying to uh, repel all these you know kind of Nordic invaders that were trying to take over England. Um, but the one wrinkle is that magic exists in this world, and they discover it, and they try to use it uh, against these Viking invaders, but it gets out of control. It creates this horrible army of kind of demonic uh, monsters, and the lead character is this guy that's kind of like a famous knight who is summoned to hunt these monsters down and destroy them. And, and in doing so, uh, something really horrible happens to him and is kind of cursed. And it's kind of like it, it was very much inspired by wanting to try and do uh, like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of story, or uh, you know, Wolfman, or even The Incredible Hulk. I think all part of the reason why we come back to these, um, you know, all through history, you know, starting with Jekyll and Hyde, perhaps going back even further, um, we love these stories about kind of the monster within, the idea that there's something 
bad within us that is trying to get out. You know, we see it even now, right, in Star Wars, right? You think about, you know, Anakin Skywalker no spoilers. had Darth Vader within him, right? <laughs> There's that dark version of him that he's trying to, uh, trying to defeat. There's this inner struggle. Um, and so the idea, I think, of, you know, of, of us always trying to kind of fight this, um, this inner battle where we're trying to always kind of find the best, the, the best version of ourselves and suppress uh, the kind of the, the darkness within us because we all have it to some degree. Uh, I think is really interesting and it's an area where I think science fiction and fantasy has always been able to um, express itself really interestingly in that way because you 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 make it you take what's internal and you externalize. You know, Jekyll and Hyde literally turns into a monster. You know, Bruce Banner literally turns into this. Uh, this being, which is the manifestation of all his inner rage. So it's a great way to kind of talk about something real that we understand, uh, you know, that kind of inner, that inner psychological battle and, and, and pull it out into a really uh, fun way with like cool monsters and stuff like that. So, um, and again, I, th- I feel like that's really important anytime that you're writing something, know what it's about, like on a, on a kind of core thematic level. Um, you know, if you ask me what Star Wars is about, the original trilogy, I would tell you that it's about the downfall of a great man and his ultimate redemption through the love of his son. That I think when you distill it down, like on an emotional level is why it really has resonated with us uh, for decades. It's not just about people flying X wings around and hitting each other with lightsabers. That's all really cool, but it's all in service of this great kind of emotional psychological kind of family saga. And so I think anytime that you're writing something, especially if you're writing in a genre uh, like science fiction or fantasy or horror or whatever, don't get too caught up in all the trappings of it. Don't, you know, never lose sight of the fact that well, you're trying to tell a story that is kind of universally true, that even when you strip away the monsters and the X-Wings and all the kind of the cool stuff, there still has to be a universally relatable human story underneath all of it. Otherwise, um, you don't really have like an emotional foundation that's going to keep people interested. Cool. I'm, well, I'm, Gary, told, I'm told that we're supposed to cut you off, but I'm going to go off the rails and ask one last, last <laughs> question if you can answer it quickly. Uh, All right, I'll keep it quiet. Ka- I know I have a- Kara's going to get angry with me, but I don't care. I'll, do, I'll, I'll keep it short, whatever the answer is. <laughs> so, do you have any upcoming projects, uh, as far as novels are concerned, that you can talk to us about, either with or without Inkshare? Preferably with, because they'll be listening to this, so they'll be judging. Um, no, I'm actually, so Abomination was kind of like, like, like a weird holiday for me where I went away and wrote this one thing that I really wanted to do, and a novel was, was, was kind of the best way for me to do that and have the story find an audience. Now I'm back to, you know, my, my screenwriting stuff. You know, as you said, I worked on, spent the last year working on Star Wars and doing some other movies and doing a movie called The War Magician with Benedict Cumberbatch that we're just starting right now. Um, if I have another idea that I think is, is best served as a as a book that's one of the first questions i was asked myself what is this is it is this would this be best told as a comic book as a movie as a tv show a poem a novel who knows i think you've got to find the best medium the best format for your story as it turns out abomination was was kind of a weird anomaly in that i i felt it would work best as a novel but for the most part um i'm a screenwriter if i do write another novel you guys will be the first to know but i don't have anything planned right now so, so nothing else in the world of abomination. Yeah, I don't like that answer. You know, abomination has been like I think a modest success. It's one of Inkshare's more popular books. You know, it hasn't like you know blown the literary world you know apart or anything. I think if it, if it, if it over time it becomes super successful, there was a lot of demand for a sequel. Um, I would be open to that. But like, I never had subsequent stories in mind. It was the story was always meant to be kind of a complete thought with the beginning, middle, and end that didn't necessarily. 
um, you know, need more chapters to, to feel complete in itself. Well, I disagree, and I want to see more in that universe, so you have my request, if that's worth anything. Uh, well, I do at least keep everyone alive at the end, which is, you know, I don't, al I don't always do that. Sometimes I kill off my characters, and it makes it hard for the story to... It'd be very difficult to get, move the story forward, but with Abomination, they did at least um, keep all our protagonists alive so that if, you know... It's, it's, a, it's a nice insurance policy if the book is ever super successful. You haven't written yourself into a corner where you, you can write a, a sequel. Cool. Well, hopefully you will. So Kara's making faces at me, so I'm going to have to I can say... See, I can see the faces down there in the bottom. <laughs> she doesn't look angry, more like impatient. And I think she's right. We're, we're going above our time. Thank you very much for, uh, for spending this time with us, Gary. You, you've been super helpful to... Uh, well, I, I, you, you were helpful to me when I talked to you on the phone a few months back because of the sword and laser thing that was... Very cool, yes. and this interview. Very helpful to me too. Yes. This interview uh, again adds to some of the. I know you say not to get bogged down in getting info from other writers, but I find that these discussions have always been very enriching to me. So, if do you have anything that you want to plug before we let you go? No, no, no. I, um, I, you know, Star Wars Rogue One will be out um, almost exactly this time next year. That they, they really don't need my help promoting that though. They'll they'll be planning. Just trust me, you will find it very hard to to miss it in the same way that, you know, it's very hard to miss Force Awakens right now. It's kind of everywhere. Uh, I also wrote some episodes for um, season, uh, the next season of Star Wars Rebels, which is a tremendous animated show on Disney XD. You should watch it. Um, and, I do. It's uh, very it. good. My, say again? I said I do. It's very good. I like it. It's a great show. Like, if you think because it's animated, it's like, like Star Wars for kids. I mean, no. all Star Wars is Star Wars is for everyone. But well, like, because it's an animated show, it means it's just for like the kid audience. It's not. It's actually really, really um, good, and, and and people of all ages, I think, uh, uh, are really enjoying it. Uh, but uh, I guess if I'll plug one thing. I, I go to my Twitter, Gary Witter, G A R Y W H I T T A. It's my main Twitter account. All of my obnoxious self promotion is there. So if you want to sign up for that, follow me. Uh, if not, you don't have to hear about it. Thanks again for coming on and uh, talking with us. All right. we appreciate I'm happy it. to do it. Thanks, guys. And best of luck with all of your books. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Okay, so uh, up next, I think we're going to be hearing from Mr. John Robin. John Robin, um, are you there, sir? I think I am. Can you hear me? Yes. How are you? Okay. Good. How are you? Doing well. So uh, I think thanks you're for gonna... your patience. Yes, thanks for your patience. No, no problem. <laughs> Um, I think we're going to hear some uh, reviews from you. Is that correct? That's or right. You're going to read some uh, reviews. I'm coming on to read three reviews, so I'm going to feature three different works here and have them open. So um, I think I know what I'm doing, but uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm going to okay. start here with I don't think Witches what Undercover. many of us know. So Witches Undercover is a work by Rochelle Germano. And uh, just the, the idea for it is um, it's the, the definition of the enemy is in the eye of the beholder. So I'm just on her Inkshares page here right now. Um, and uh, let's see. I wanted to read a particular review by Michael Sebi. So uh, he says, Witches Undercover is such a fun story to read. The sisterly bond between Kimberly and Cheryl is the heart of this book so far, and I look forward to learning more about all these great family secrets that are being teased. Rochelle seamlessly blends magic with the modern world similar to J.K. Rowling, where it appears to be something that lurks underneath everyone's noses but slightly out, out of sight to non-believers. 
I can't wait to read more. So just thought that was a, a great review to share with everyone. So that's Witches Undercover by, by Rochelle Germano. Um, all right. So, and I also have here uh, Prophecy of the Stars. So this, this is by Melissa Berg. Uh, so the, the log line that I have here on the Inkshares page, it says, after finding out the truth of her past, Marin must leave everything behind and embark on a journey through love, betrayal, and sacrifice, while her fate may already be written in the stars. For the prophecy states, she must die so all may live. So I just, uh, there was a few reviews today that popped up for this one, but I wanted to read the review by uh, David Barrett. He is the uh, he is one of the winners of the Nerdist Collection contest. I believe I'm right about that. Um, and so his his book is all it's all fun and games. And he had to stay right off the bat. We're treated to wonderful description in short, clear sentences. The story is filled with emotion and begs to be read. I'm really enjoying this bit so far. So uh, yeah, that was thought that was a, a good review, um, and there is another work here um, that I enjoyed. It's called Captain. So Captain, the the logline for this one, exposing the human journey behind the well-known story of Peter Pan. Captain takes us on an adventure to learn the real facts behind the rise of James Hook, and to decide for ourselves who really is the villain of the tale. And the review that I'm going to read today, if he has it up here already. And, and Captain is by R.D. Seavers? R.T. Seavers, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's kind of a spin on Captain Hook, but telling it from his perspective. Um, and I wanted to read Joseph Terzieva's review. Um, so it says here, because the source material is already so culturally significant, this book is an easy sell. However, there is a risk when reading familiar waters, when treading familiar waters. R.T. Sievers deftly navigates the divide between the familiar and the new, telling a story that validates its need to be told, all the while pertaining or painting a world that feels authentic. Um, and Joe, Joe Terzieva is a winner of the Sword and Laser Collection Contest. So... Uh, so that's what he had to say about Captain. So that's uh, another book to check out on there. So I just wanted to highlight these three things. Um, yeah. I don't know if you want me to say more about it. Um, okay. Uh, well, if you'd like to, John, um, that's up to you. This is uh, your time right here, sir. So. Oh, okay. Well, I was, uh, I mean, I, I was just coming on to read the reviews. I didn't really, I don't really know what else. Kara kind of just Okay, you don't have to say anything else, Doc. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll, in I fact, you'll be coming back on in just a, just a okay. minute. True. He's gonna I don't have... want to eat up too much time because I know I'm on a little bit later. So I thought I'd just share those and then we could... I didn't know if you had any other thoughts about them. You know. Um, well, I know no, for... going to talk about John. Oh, okay. Well, we'll wait. We'll come back to you, John, in a few minutes. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, sure. we'll come back to him pretty much now-ish, no? Wait, wait, no. Uh, no we have Kara needs to talk about her coloring book. I'm hopping That's in. Right. No, I'm, first I'm going to read this really good review of John Robbins' book. Oh, no. Because the viewers need to know. Uh, okay? Because John Robin is... His book is amazing. And everybody should know about it. Uh, and Steve 
Soldwedel, I believe it's pronounced, who also has an amazing book called Disintegration, which you should, everybody should order. Uh, Steve wrote a really good review, so I'm going to read it. Uh, epic. It's a word that gets thrown around too easily these days, to the point where it has lost its meaning. But if you want to know what it really means, you have to read Blood Dawn. I'm surprised Mr. Robin's middle initials aren't RR, because he is the heir apparent to master fantasy craftsman Tolkien and Martin with greater focus. If you didn't enjoy Tolkien's plot-irrelevant meanderings or find fault with Martin for his tardy manuscript deliveries, but you love the idea of being absorbed into a fantastic world that transports you away from the banal, banal realities of everyday life, read this tale. Now he should, he should get an award just for writing that review. The review is amazing. <laughs> Wait, who, who, wrote, who wrote that review? Steve Soldwedel, I believe it is. Okay, okay. I, there's a bit of an echo, but I I, I was asking because I saw a couple of reviews pass by by uh, other people, and there were some really well-written reviews. I, oh. I got one that basically, the, the review is of better quality than the book that got reviewed, my book, and it was almost embarrassing. No, don't say that. You're not supposed to put yourself down, and also... The Life Engineer looks like it's going to be really good. So, oh, it's, it's the other book. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> I don't know about the gods of shit. So um, do, you, do you want to talk to us about your coloring book? You're doing a second one of those? Yeah, we're going to do another coloring book. Uh, and so we, I cannot get it to share examples of the previous coloring book, but what we did during I'll, the nerd contest. I, talk about it and I'll try. I have some. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot, too. Can you hear me? Oh, you. yeah, go ahead. All right, so... Uh, during the Nerdist contest, uh, I was trying to figure out ways that we could all promote each other. Oh, look, yep, there's a maze for Ageless. Uh, we decided to make a coloring book. Uh, so a few artists, me and Melissa Bird, uh, came together, and a bunch of authors also made their own pages. So uh, crossword puzzle and word search, search and find. That's uh, John Robbins' Dragon Mandala. You should read this book. Uh, I drew that one. Yeah, uh, you drew that one. Right? And so when we send it out to our readers, it's an immediate thank you for ordering our book. And also, uh, if they look and they see something cool that they like, uh, they might check out that book as well. So it's cross-promotion and, uh, and a thank you for ordering the book. Uh, or just looking at inkshares even, and that's uh, Prophecy of the Stars, Melissa's book. Uh, and she's an uh, insane, amazing artist. Oh, and she's also doing a giveaway today. She's giving away a piece of art to everybody who pre-orders her book today. So everyone should pre-order it and get free art. Uh, uh, so we're going to do another uh, we're going to do another coloring book. Melissa's in, I'm in. Uh, who else can participate? JF, are you going to be in this time? I, I don't know. Kara, am I going to be in this time? <laughs> well, JF, I asked you to do the first one, and you ignored me. So I don't know. That was unintentional, and you know it. You're invited. Everybody is invited. See, I see no limit to this, because the only limit is the amount of time that an artist is willing to put in if an author isn't able to do their own art. Uh, you know, and you guys should know by now that I, like, bleed for this company. So <laughs> I will continue to do art you for You do people. everything except for get paid. <laughs> I 
Uh, but anyway, so Melissa's in, I'm in, and uh, we'll probably cut it off once uh, we can't reasonably produce something, you know, in, in a given amount of time. So there, there's, is there a deadline or anything? Um, I'm it, not great with deadlines. I, so I'm like... Can you pretend there's a deadline? Because if there's no deadline, sure. I'll keep pushing it, you know, put, putting other projects in front of it until there's no more time. But yeah, if I have a deadline, I know when to deliver. Case, because JF, no, you're doing the cover design. Because we got, okay, so uh, one of our new authors, okay. <laughs> yes, you agreed to do the cover design. You're not doing the cover art. I'll, I'll take you. have cover art from uh, okay. an extremely prolific comic book artist. Uh, yes, I remember you yeah. mentioned that. I, I still want to do some uh, something for the interior, though. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, and something for the interior, too. Uh, but Jack Katz is, has been illustrating comic books since, like, the 1940s. He's done a gazillion of them, and he's friends with one of the authors, uh, Matthew Isaac Sobin, uh, The Last Machine in the Solar System. And so... Uh, Matthew got his friend Jack to do the cover for the next coloring book for us. And Jack's going to do the, uh, the typography and design. Uh, so we already, already have that going for us. It's going to be really cool. Uh, and I just tweeted a link to the Goodreads page. And what you need to do is, if you want in, uh, you just go to the Goodreads page and have an idea of what you'd want for your coloring page. Shoot, I'm talking too long. Uh, I'm running this thing. Uh, I need to. It's uh, not as easy as you thought, is it? <laughs> to, well, that's why I'm not hosting. That's why I got you guys to host. Thank you, by the way. Uh, but You're welcome. I tweeted out that link. So click the link and have an idea of a following page that you might want. Uh, and there's more information out there. So you should just check it out. We made a good reads group at this point. So yeah, you're invited, authors. Come join our. Uh... Thank you, Kara. Um, you're welcome. Coloring book, uh, part two, Electric Boogaloo, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll make sure that that ends up on the cover, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So cool. No, I'm. I'm definitely. Okay, I'm gonna mute. Okay, I'm definitely gonna participate this time. So. We're going to, now. We're going to to talk to John Robin again, but instead of having him read about other people's book, we're going to talk to to him about his own book, about his. Uh, his he's got a, a syndicate on Inkshares. Jo look, let's be fair. John is by far one of the most active community members of all the Inkshares writers. When when the sec when the the Nerdist contest started, I put up this. Just this this kind of throwaway idea that I wanted the contest to be more of a community and Joe Tierzeva, I killed that name, I nailed it. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Decided to Perfect. create a Goodreads for a Goodreads form with it, so he he ran with it and then re, he gave the really he gave the baton to uh, to to John Robbins who's been sprinting ever since. Uh, John, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm glad to have you on board here because of the, the level of activity that you've had. I mean, we've had some great people do amazing things since the Nerdist contest. I mean, Paul has done voiceovers for a lot of authors. Kara put, put in, uh, and Melissa put in work for the uh, for that coloring book. I've done nothing. 
and uh, Joe put together the, the, the Goodreads forum that you've been I, easily the most active member of, and you've been involved with just about everyone's projects. Do you, do you want to tell us what, so what, what's your end game? Um, well, I think it goes back to uh, what, what my beginning was because uh, I, I, I credit uh, a guy named Dan Blank. Uh, you might have heard me throw it, throw the name around in Twitter, uh, maybe Facebook. Uh, he he is uh, he helps creative professionals build their platforms, and I took a course of his last spring, and it the focus is on connecting to your audience and it, building meaningful relationships, and that is the spine of successful uh, platforms for creative professionals. That's kind of his philosophy, and I really took that on board. Um, I've had blood dawn parked on Inkshare since last April, and uh, it just sat there. I think I got up to maybe 30 pre-orders, and it was mostly just people I knew who said, oh, yeah, I'll buy your, I'll buy your book. Um, but after taking Dan's course and really putting that into action, the uh, Nerdist Collection contest started, and I saw an opportunity. Um, I, I saw these authors with works, and, works up there, and I realized we all have a common vision. So why not why not work together so you know I would look for some works that I could back books that I enjoyed and I also knew that those authors would probably get in touch with me by email and once we're in contact by email I could uh, suggest that maybe we work together to help each other so that sort of just that idea just kinda of took off and so ever since uh, taking that on board from Dan Blank um, it's just kind of my modus operandi I guess you could say and everything that I do, it just comes from the desire to build meaningful relationships because otherwise I find book promotion just an endless world of stress. Um, but here, look at what we're doing, having kidding. all this fun here, you know, where we've come together, members of a bigger community, and we're all uh, building a bigger vision. I, I think Paul can agree with me when I say that if uh, if I go back to last May during the first uh, Sword and Laser contest, the idea of what we're doing right now and the kind of relationship that we've built because of people like you and people like Kara was not, that was not in the cards. <laughs> that was not something we could have foreseen at all. I, I totally, absolutely agree. I mean, uh, what we have become since then has just like kind of blown my mind, you know, and I, 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 I kind of wonder, <clears throat> excuse me, I kind of wonder like um, what they think about at Inkshares. I know sometimes they, they share with us, but I mean, I wonder if they, when this first started coming about, it was just like, what is going on, you know? I, you know, I wonder that kind of stuff. So, um, John, tell us a little bit about the syndicate that you uh, have started. Well, yeah, the, the syndicate idea, it's, it's relatively new. Uh, Jeremy Thomas, the CEO, um, he, he put the idea up in our forum. Uh, and I just, uh, at first, when the syndicate idea went up, I, I didn't know what to think of it. Um, but I sort of had this gut feeling that this could be something interesting. So uh, I saw that Jeremy had created a syndicate, and I realized anyone could create a syndicate. So I thought, well, why not make uh, one that is that supports, say, epic fantasy books, because that's what I'm interested in. Um, so from there, I thought, well, you know, we could make a syndicate for epic fantasy and the thing is I love writing epic fantasy and there's many other authors on Inkshares who that's we have that in common we could get together we could form a sort of a sub community of the bigger author group 
But the neat thing about this is readers like reading. There are readers who enjoy epic fantasy as well. So why not, rather than start a forum that's based on how to promote your book, just a forum that's based on our common passion. So, so out of the, you know, the idea of having a syndicate where you could support uh, similar works funding shares, because a syndicate, uh, just pretend nobody knows what a syndicate is. It's basically where a group of uh, backers all come together and cast a monthly vote. So that vote will have the weight of the number of uh, members who are in there. Um, so right now, my syndicate has, I believe, 14 members. So if I cast my vote in January, that's going to be equivalent to, uh, well, 14, 14 pre-orders on whatever work we promote. So over time, the syndicate grows, and it's a way we could, we could sort of uh, have a bigger weight in backing certain projects we're passionate about. So uh, rather than just coming together to cast a vote, I thought, why not create a Goodreads group where we could also have some discussion and have a lot of fun. So I, I'm really hoping the syndicates model will help uh, similar areas. You know, maybe we'll get a science fiction syndicate. Maybe we'll get, you know, a uh, business book syndicate. Who knows, right? It's sort of it's up to the individual authors who want to spearhead. A, a, their own syndicates, and it would be kind of cool to see how this develops the community some more. So, um, so in other words, like basically, a syndicate is like people just join in. For those of you who don't know, um, they join in and they, they like uh, pay a certain fee, or I mean, not like fee is not the right word, but they basically pay a little bit of money, and that money goes toward whatever project that you decide for that month. Is that how it works then? That's right. I mean, that's the, basic leader, the, the syndicate leader will cast the vote because so so I founded my uh, epic fantasy syndicate. So I'll I'll make a choice. Uh, but everybody who's in the syndicate joins in, and we all contribute either ten dollars or twenty dollars. And that is it's a, whether you want to put towards a uh, physical book or just an ebook. Ebook would be ten dollars. Physical book would be twenty dollars. Uh, so every month you're going to contribute that much. Um, it's the same as a backing a book. I mean, your order will carry through if the project is successful. You'd be refunded if the book the syndicate backed didn't end up funding. Um, so it's the same process. It's just instead of you going and manually choosing books to back, you join a syndicate and trust the syndicate leader to uh, pick something that would, would that you would want to be on board with. Um, so we have, I mean, on the syndicate itself, there's a discussion thread where you could talk about, um, where you, you can discuss uh, what books you like. I mean, I created a Goodreads group because it's a little more efficient. You can get into much deeper conversations. I can do polls so that people can vote. I really want to hear from everyone in the syndicate rather than just taking a guess. So, yeah, I thought that's pretty much how it works. That, cool. that, that's um, a very uh, that's a very John Robin way of approaching it too. <laughs> the old, oh no, I want to involve a community with this. D see, this is what I meant by your your involvement in the community and how you help develop it. Paul, you were gonna say something. I oh yeah, I was actually just gonna say um if you wouldn't mind uh tell us a little bit about Blood Dawn because I know that you're still funding and uh, you're st actually still writing but you're coming to the end stages or have you finished that draft yet? I'm actually gonna. I'm probably gonna finish it tomorrow. Actually, um, I'm. I'm in the last segment. This. This is. Uh, I, I have three chapters to write, and they're they're pretty short. I, I'm gonna finish it no matter what this weekend because I want the rest of December off. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Uh, but, well, tell uh, us a little bit about it for people who don't know that are maybe watching. Well, Blood Dawn, uh, I, I'm right with Gary on that. You know, you should have your logline nailed down. <laughs> but I, I just can't summarize it in one sentence. But uh, basically, you think about maybe Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones. It's a little bit more modern. There's a lot of magic. There's dragons. Uh, but it basically follows the story of a young woman who who is a master. She's she's uh, she's uh, a I want to use master. I know it's a masculine word, but anyway, let's go with that. Master Weaver, uh, she can uh, see these patterns and bring them to life, and she realizes it's the sign of a magical gift, and she's uh, the long-lost daughter of a god king, has to rise above the forces against her, her own internal fears and doubts, as well as intri uh, intrigues and uh, people who are plotting to... Uh, used her power, steal her power, kill her, all these different things. She has to unite a darkened kingdom. So that's that's the gist of, of Blood Dawn. Um, but there are seven point-of-view characters. That's just her. Uh, she's this, at the center of it all. Um, but uh, the, the, the narrative is quite diverse and rich. There's, there's a lot of different things in there. And so it's just to try and summarize it in with one narrative just doesn't work, you have to read the book. <laughs> All I can say. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, where where can uh, people come and get it? And, you know, you have different levels, too. Explain this very quickly because... Yeah, you have more Kara's levels giving us the, the eye again, so... <laughs> um, you, can you can back it by just going to inkshares.com and typing in Blood Dawn, and the book will come up. So uh, you'll, you'll come to my project page, just like you can come to any project page, and uh, you can back it either by buying an ebook or a print book. If you want to get into some cool things, you could become a god king by buying three copies. I'll name a house in my world after you. Uh, I also have an artist who will make a custom emblem based on that house name. If you really want to be uh, supreme, you could be a dragon. So that's seven copies of my book. If you buy that, I'll name a dragon in my world after you. It gets added yeah, to my list. What's that? I took myself off mute. Oh, okay. You should, uh, you should host your own live stream, John. Oh. And talk about your book. We need to announce some prizes. Okay. Okay. Kara, I think that it's it's not like this is gonna stop. It just keeps going until we stop it, you know, so when did you I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop it at some point. It's It stops when I hit the stop button, but at some point I need oh, to do yeah. other things. So Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's we, what we, I was have saying, some, like, we have some leeway, Paul, but we're not going on till midnight. No, I understand. I'm just saying that, like, you know, another minute would not have been that big of a deal is all I meant. But anyway, continue. Prizes. Let's get to the prizes. Okay, because people want to know, I'm assuming, the seven people who are watching. Uh-uh. Oh, okay. So, all oh, right. I'm talking about prizes. Yes. So, um, so there's there's a lot of prizes, but there's author there's author based prizes. If you're an author, there are two awesome things we're offering tonight. Um, one is a uh, the, the two copies of Scrivener. One for Mac, one for PC. Um, Scrivener is an awesome writing program that uh, it, it will revolutionize how you write. If you write in Word and you move over to Scrivener, it just opens up all these different uh, path, just different channels to how you can access story. Um, uh, there's, uh, it's hard to just describe it simply. You have to try it out. There's many tutorial videos. 
I actually made a tutorial video which uh, we should be able to link to. I think we might have we might have shared some links already in some of the notification emails. Uh, so you could just get a feel for what Scrivener is, but we're giving away two of those prizes. Um, and uh, we also are giving away a free month of the Author Accelerator program. So Author Accelerator is a program where, like, that's what I, I've used for Blood Dawn, and every week you turn in 10 pages of what you're writing, uh, and they, you have an editor who will go over it and tell you whether it's on track. So that's valued at $199 a month, and they're giving away a month of that for free to somebody, so one of the winners of our, uh, one of the author winners of the uh, Review-a-thon. So um, now the other thing is everyone who entered the Review-a-thon is going to be eligible for half price, so they're going to get $100 off their first month of Author Accelerator. So that's something uh, you just have to go in and write half off uh, when you for a coupon code. So that's uh, so that's all you need to do for that if you if you want to get your copy. But um, you can you one person is going to actually win the free month. So that so I'm looking forward to seeing who that is because that's an awesome opportunity. It's a great program. So those are those are the two different types of writer-based prizes that we're offering tonight, and I think that's I think that's all I need to say about that. <coughs> so, um, excuse me, who who uh, is it? Time for the winners for that, Kara? Yes, it's time to announce the prize. <coughs> uh, I'm just calculating the last one. What I've done is okay for the general prizes. Uh, Inkshares ran a. Uh, I don't know what they call it, query, whatever, report uh, of all of the individual reviews posted today. And so I have all of those here, and I have everybody's name and email address. And I'm using a random number generator online to just run, have it generate a random number. Uh, and none of you have watched me do this, so you're just going to have to trust me. I, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell How is that for transparency, ladies and gentlemen? I, I, I don't know what else to do. Uh, no, that's, that's fine. That's how, that's how most people will run this kind of contest. I mean, they're just, what are we going to do? Just have uh, hire uh, a notary public to uh, go to your place and testify? Does, does anybody oh, have a D20? <laughs> Jana just wants So, Jana do you want to announce the winners? I don't want anything. <laughs> Jamie, you won a prize! Really? <laughs> Thanks, I just crossed. Which one? Which one? Um, you won the Author Accelerator. Come on. Cool. Yeah, I needed that. <laughs> so, so yeah, there you go. So I'm going to be emailing everybody after this individually to let them know what the prize is, and I'll uh, email Inkshares too if they need to uh, assign your credits to your account. Uh, but here we go. Uh, so, the winner of the Sword and Laser book package, is there a reason my face isn't up on the screen? It's not on my screen. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Alright. It's just on. Okay, so the winner of the Sword and Laser book package, all of the books uh, in the Sword and Laser contest Which is, are? Which are... An, unattra the unattra an Unattractive Vampire... Lost Generation, 
Uh, Asteroid Made of Dragons. Paul's book. (laughs) 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 And JF's book. (laughs) No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I I, I want her to name yours. I know. I know, right? (laughs) Ageless by Paul Inman. And anyway, the life engineered by J. Life engineered and <laughs> coming soon. So you, is, the winner you... is Craig Monroe. Hey, congratulations, Craig. Congratulations, Craig. Craig. I hope you're listening. If not, you're gonna get an email anyways, and you're not. Yeah, anybody know Craig's anyone. book off the top of their head? What's that? Craig. He's an author. Uh, he has a book. Yeah, his oh. his name rings a bell, but we've talked. We can't so remember many. Okay, so you know what? Look, and, and the winner of the Nerdist contest books is Andrew Wood. Congratulations! Congratulations! <laughs> okay, uh, he he is the author of uh, Storm of Fury, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Craig Morano, is that what you said? Monroe. Craig Monroe. He's the author of The Bones oh. of the Past, currently funding on Inkshares. Yes. So has behind the scenes people looking things up. Uh, we, we got your back. And uh-huh. Andrew Wood, who is actually in the same uh, in one of the same podcasting communities I'm in, which is the uh, Frog Pants community. I heard him uh, buy some advertisement on one of the shows I listened to, and I thought, hey, I know that. Guy. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So it, we're all interconnected. It's a small world. Okay, and now we get to the um, $30 in credits. Now, see, somebody, a kind author, had offered to donate uh, uh, his spare credits uh, as prizes for different authors, but Inkshire said, no, 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 we'll just credit people's accounts. So he doesn't have to donate his credits. Uh, They're being very supportive of this event. So six people win $30 in credits. Wow, six. Uh, yeah, yeah, because he was going to do five pre-orders. He had a lot of spare credits for people, which is why that's what it said on the announcements. Uh, but they're just going to credit six people's accounts instead. So, Thomas Arnold. Congrats, and Tom. Tony Valdez. Tony, good job. Tony! And you're you still... Tony, um... Woot. Sorry. Yay! Congratulations! Woo! Kermit Flail. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes stuff, Tony did. Kara, Kara was talking to us uh, on on our little chat feed. Tony won twice, but was generous enough to abandon one of his winnings so that someone else could profit because he's a he's a cool guy. Well, he's also he's also thinking that somebody could spend their um, credits on uh, Dax Harrison. Yeah, the winner should buy <laughs> Dax Harrison because it's so close. Because he yes, someone... absolutely. There's no question about that. But you know, if I was trying to build up Tony's character, Paul. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm not. I'm not trying to do that. Okay. I don't no, need no. to do that. No. In the in the spirit of Dax, it was totally for my own selfish. Yeah. Yes, absolutely selfish reasons. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So who else won? Okay. Next, um, Jason Pomerantz. Congrats, Jason. Jason. He also has a book. Something I should have looked these up. Yeah. Oh, just really quick. Jason, uh, his book is Women Like Us, Women which like is us. yeah, which is actually not in uh, most of our sci-fi fantasy categories. Just a book that I yeah. happened upon, and Jason has been really awesome and really supportive of Dax 
um, and and a few other books as well. So, yo, yay, Jason! Yeah, cool, yay, Jason! Maybe he'll buy that. Maybe he might he have already. Gave up your credits, though. Uh, the next one is uh, reader writer. Good job, reader writer. There's a lot of you out there. Yeah, there are. There are a but lot of reader email. writers. I have an email address attached to it, so it's not just a random reader writer. Okay, so you, you'll uh, at least you'll be able to contact them. And oh give no, them I need to rerun it. Okay, I gotta rerun it because I have Tony Ivy on here quite. Oh, two, two, oh, three times then maybe he won. So, so I, I'm starting to think that maybe Tony again in the in the spirit of his character may have cheated. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why doesn't this happen with Lotto Scratchers? That's what I want to know. He doesn't have any ways he's cheated. Uh, okay, so. The person who won... Hey! Is it Tony? No, it's Amanda. Hey, <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> I swear I'm not doing this. It's well, no, it's, it's, statistically, <laughs> there's there's a better chance that everyone that's on this panel right now actually wrote reviews, so there's yeah. a good chance that some of us would win. Yeah. Not me, of course, because of course. But that's fine. I'm not bitter. I'm sorry. What? I don't know what else to do. So. Well, do we? Uh, do, is do, that do, it? Is that all? No, the Amanda should uh, tell us about her book for like two seconds. Oh, yes, for like two seconds. So she's been there for a while now. Because you're here. Yeah, I want to hear from you. Oh, um, well, just real quick, I have. Can you guys hear me? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have two books that are actually funding through InkShares right now. The first one is the sequel to the book that I entered to Nerdist in that contest. It wasn't successful, but I went ahead and self-published that one, Shadow of the Owl. The second book is called uh, Shadow of the Panther, and it follows Melina's continuing adventures into a completely new realm in a different universe. That one is currently funding on InkShares right now, and the second one is called Deus Hex Machina, and that's a cyberpunk novel. Um, set in a futuristic dystopian Orange County. Um, and that follows a, um, a what we call a devout hexer who is a hacker who protects the grid uh, or future internet from uh, corruption. Um, and she finds something really unusual on the internet and has to go and, um, and solve the mystery of what that is. And it kind of changes her life and everybody's lives around her. Um, I ran a couple of contests today. Um, the first one was for uh, anyone who ordered today got a chance to have a cameo in one of my books. So I had three people that actually pre-ordered today. The first one was Kara. So yes, Kara's going to be a hexer, I assume. Right? Not like a mech writer. I assume she's going to be a hexer. All I need um, is my imagination to travel to a cyberpunk universe. So. Yeah. Um, so that's that's awesome. Um, the second was, uh, or actually the first person that jumped on it like as soon as I made the announcement was Joe Terzieva. He's like... Poor Joe. Terzieva. He's got the easiest yeah. name to say. I mean, but he, you know. he is like the super fan for DHM, and he's been incredibly uh, supportive of the book and keeps saying that that thing needs to be like written immediately. So I keep going back and writing more scenes for him so that he has more stuff to read. <laughs> Joe and I agree. Yeah. Um, and then the, the third person that won a cameo was Devin Harris, and he actually won, um, got a chance to step into Shadow of the Panther. Um, he's been another uh, uh, reader who's been super helpful and supportive of all the books that I've been um, funding on each year, so that's really cool. Um, but the uh, 
the contest that nobody knows about or knew about but didn't know who won was for a pizza certificate. I decided I wanted to throw a pizza party at 50 orders, and we, re we met that today. So I'm very excited to announce that um, Inkshare's author of Fayside, Peter Birdsall, actually won a pizza on me. So um, I'm very excited for him to get a chance to um, have a free night where he doesn't have to cook, which is, you know, my goal in life is to be able to cook for everybody. <laughs> Yay! Well, I'm so glad you got to announce your prizes too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how many people were like super interested in my contest, but at least I got a chance to uh, say hi to everybody and thank yeah. you for like letting me win credits because that's cool. I, I want to be able to support more books. Well, thanks for posting reviews because that's what did. Yeah. Well, I like reviews. I just didn't understand the mechanics of it before. Like where you actually click and stuff. So. I, I, I think it's one of those systems, and I don't mean to badmouth ink shares because I love them and they love me, question mark. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, but the, the, the reviews could be a lot easier to access and post and be, and be uh, it, it, it could be a bit more user-friendly, but I think that's something that we can suggest to them, and they've been super responsive about uh, modifying, adding, or correcting features when we mention it to them. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, Kara, do you want me to announce another prize? Uh, I want you to. Because yeah. I, I put in my uh, daily in my update today announcing oh, the, yeah, uh, sure. the thing that uh, anybody that would post a review of A God in the Shed had a chance of winning a, uh, a small pack of, uh, of prints I made. They're not God in the Shed prints. They're life-engineered prints, but like I basically will sign and send them to, uh, to the winner. And I got seven new reviews for A God in the Shed, which surprised me because I didn't expect that many today. And I, I drew randomly, and I'm so disappointed that I'm going to massacre that poor guy's name because it, it's a Steve Soldwaddle. Anyway. I think it's See, that sounds... Actually, well pronounced. So I'm gonna go with that. Steve. So Steve Soldwaddle uh, won the, the package. So I'm gonna be emailing him to get his address, and I'll be sending him a, a package of signed prints for uh, for the life engineered. See prizes for everyone. It's Yay! Good. Yay! Okay. So the last couple prizes. Or wait, Paul, do you have prizes to announce? I do not have prizes. You're not. I didn't win, so I am not giving anything away. So you had mentioned uh, earlier in private that you had this uh, a night out with Paul that you no, you're not doing. Never mind. Well, no, my wife, you know, she frowns on those things. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. I have a copy of Scrivener to give away for Mac and for PC. Oh yeah, we haven't done that yet. Go ahead. So the winner for Mac is Alan Tucker. Hey, congratulations, Alan. Author of... Hope you have a Mac. Who is fast? Who is fast, yes. Alan. Uh, uh, we can BS. Alan, you know, congratulations. Your new copy of Scrivener is made just for the Mac. And hopefully you own a Mac. Because if not, then I don't know what to tell you. How come nobody's faster at this? Where's my answer? <laughs> so anyway, I, I, Alan... Everyone, if they had Mac or PC, that's the only way I was able to use it. Yes, uh, I know. And the winner for PC is Michael Sebi. Congratulations, Michael. Congratulations, Michael. Okay, and so Alan Tucker is the devil you know. Thank you. The devil you uh, know. Okay. See, I, I think I know the titles more than I know the author names, so maybe that's what we should just refer to people by the title of their books. The winner of, of Scrivener for PC was 
the author of The Inhabitants. The Inhabitants? I have the not seen that yeah. one. A, a, an Unremembered Life or something like that, right? In, oh, it? yeah, yeah. The Inhabitants, An Unremembered Life. All right, yeah. so that's all the prizes that I have. That's a person in awesome. the new um, contest, Sword and Laser contest, I believe, yeah, correct? Oh, cool. Well, congratulations to all the winners. So... Does it, is that is that the end of our of our broadcast? Is that I think is that, that all? Is the end. We have gone over, but I think that's the end. It, we, we've gone over, but I think it was worth it. Yes, and you know, before we actually end, let's take a second and thank all the people who are still here on our panel. Um, thank you very much, Tony, John, Jim. Uh, who else is here? Amanda, Kara, of course. But I'm gonna save you for last. And Jenna Grace and JF Dubow. Kara, we're going to thank you last because you helped set up this whole thing, and that's very amazing. You sent out many emails, many of which I read quickly, and then I filed away for future use, and then the future came, and I did not use them, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I, there's, a, there's a lot of these emails I, I've, I've received. I will read them later. <laughs> probably not relevant anymore, but... But no, Kara, Kara carried the weight of organizing this, and uh, hopefully, hopefully it's considered a success, and hopefully we'll get to do it again at some point. Well, and, I, can um, you, I can tell you that the list of reviews that they sent me is 174 reviews long. Wow, so, 174 wow. reviews today. That's amazing. 174 new reviews today. That's insane. Is, That's very cool. Amazing. So I consider it a huge success. Personally. That is. That oh, is absolutely. That made me tear up. So No crying uh, on the show. No crying on the show. I cry all the time. We're live right now, so no, no crying. Don't tell me not to cry. <laughs> There's no crying in ink shares. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, let's not forget, um we have, have earlier. There's so much crying. Okay, we need to be done. Who who do I we have earlier, that. JF? We had uh oh, we had Gary Widow, we had Adam from yeah. Ink Shares that Thank uh, you. Thank you to both of them. I need to do a counter thank you. Thank, thank you, counter. Okay, the counter thank you is thank you, JF and Paul, so much for being willing to host this. I know it was a big deal on short notice. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, no, I, I, I'm going to speak for Paul because someone has to. Uh, no, I, I can't I think, do it myself. It, it was very much our pleasure to do it, Kara, and anytime. Well, not anytime, but you know, whenever we can, we'll be glad to do it again. Yes, and you know, before we actually sign off, JF. Let's tell people a little bit about the life engineered and the God in the shed. Uh, oh, sure, fam. Put me very on the quickly. So because, very, you know, okay, we're getting very, the eye again. Okay, very, very quickly. Uh, my, my, my book, The Life Engineered, is the first book from the Sword and Laser Collection uh, contest winners things that is going to be published. It's coming out on March 1st. You can pre-order it anywhere books are sold. So just go to a bookstore and say, I want to pre-order The Life Engineered by Jeff Dubow, and they'll look at you funny for a second, but then they'll find it in their database and pre-order it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, my other book, the other book that Paul mentioned, is A God in the Shed. It's the book that I'm currently uh, funding on Inkshares. It's, I think it's only about 300 orders away from getting the full-run super mega publishing deal going on, and... It's uh, just to give you a quick synopsis. It's <laughs> that thing that Gary said was hard. Uh, it's, it's basically think of it as Stephen King's Stand by Me mixed in with some Call of Cthulhu and maybe a sprinkling of Harry Potter for flavor, and you'll get an idea of the the theme. And the story is basically uh, about a a small village in the eastern township of Quebec that 
a couple of generations ago found an ancient god and managed to kind of enslave it and then they tried to abuse that power and now the most recent generation has to deal with the consequences of this sort of behavior towards supernatural deities. And it's, it's a book that I really want to see go through a proper editorial process because it's a fun book to work on. I've been told it's a fun book to read, so it would be really neat to see it get a, a good treatment because I, I think it's, it's something that people would enjoy. So you just go on Inkshares, look up either Jeff Dubois or look up A God in the Shed and pre-order a copy. I would be super grateful. Apparently, JF, um, yes, that's good. Apparently, JF, we have missed a book or so. Oh, I just forgot to... Uh... Well, we didn't talk about Ageless. Yeah, but that's not what I meant. I actually, Kara uh, actually said, hey, we're, we're forgetting something. We you know, forgot, we're forgetting. forgot to talk about She is the End. We did forget yeah, about the Practical Applications for Multiverse Theory. Oh, <laughs> when you're, oh, when you're giving away the prizes, yes. Yes, yes. That is one of the books that won the Sword and Laser contest. So. Oh, yeah, I, I thought there were six, not five. Yes. yes. So that will be sent out to Crate. So and okay. uh, we kind Two of mentioned books. your book. Yeah, She is the End, and we'll, then we'll talk about Ageless. And then Nobody we'll... wants to hear about my book. You can just... <laughs> no, your book's in production, Kara. Kara, your book is being yes. produced on the Quill uh, collection, if I remember correctly. So you have to promote it. Yes. See, if you don't promote it, you're doing a disservice to Inkshares, your publisher. Yeah. Your publisher yeah, expects no. you to promote your book, so talk you to don't, about is the end. You don't want to anger the Inkshares monster, okay? I think Inkshares is fine with me right now. No, you, you don't understand. It's your responsibility towards your pro publisher to promote your book. Tell us about she is the end. Oh, fine. Okay, well, she is the end. So, she is the end about a space princess who is kidnapped and someone is ruling in her name and a rebel whose family was killed by the false ruler has tracked her down to bring her to justice but instead he finds her being held captive he springs her from captivity and they join forces with a couple other uh, ragtag people uh, and they have to get off of planet earth where she was being held get back to their home planet and save the galaxy See, that actually sounds really good when you put it that way. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, we only had to like beat it out of you. So well, I mean, everybody's tired. I know, I know. We all want to go home, so that's why we're gonna have uh, Paul uh, <laughs> talk about Ageless, and then unless we missed anybody that's on the panel that wants to talk about something or plug a project, we'll be closing this. Paul, tell tell us about Ageless so we can go to bed. All right, very quickly. Ageless is about a young girl who has a genetic anomaly, and she ages very different than you and I. Um, so the story spans over several decades um, telling the story of her life, but it is unique because it is nice. That's cool. It is nonlinear, and it is um, uh, interesting because obviously if your uh, genetic makeup held something like that, it would be something that governments and people of power would definitely want. So she is more or less on the run throughout the course of the story. So yeah, that's a really short, quick, and easy way to... Do you have a uh, book release yet? Yes. Um, Ageless comes out on May 3rd. May 3rd, 2016. 
you can pre-order just like JF. You can pre-order at any of any bookstore online, or go to the actual bookstore, or you can pick up your pre-order on a on Inkshares. JF, Fantastic. thank you for everything you do, sir. Co-author or co-author? Wow, co-host of the Right Brain podcast, which does come out every once in a while. Comes and, out uh, theoretically once a week. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, if nobody else has anything else to plug, I just want to thank everybody for being on this panel, for being super patient, and for uh, for, for, for Kara again for putting this together and getting yes, almost thanks. 200 new reviews for books. If you're a listener or you're an author or writer, whatever, just go to Inkshares. If you have an idea for a book, put it on Inkshares. Join the Sword and Laser contest. It's not too late. If you're just a reader, go on Inkshares and browse the books. Don't just be one of those people that waits for something to be a bestseller before you pick it up. Don't be on the bandwagon. Be before bandwagon. Be a hipster. Be a yeah, book hipster. the bandwagon. Exactly. Be a book hipster and be like, you can know... You can have pre-ordered a book from a future famous author before they were famous and be awesome by doing that. So go on Inkshare, pre-order some books. It's super cool to encourage authors like that. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So unless anybody else has anything else to add before we leave, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, Tony, Gary, and Adam that were there. And hopefully we'll do this again, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.